0: No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world, and today, I should probably just lay this out for the fans who are just clicking this and are kind of confused about who I'm talking to. Yes. Let's do that. An up and coming trend on YouTube is sort of like podcast commentary, and somehow I have become a near daily viewer of the man across from me, who I've never met in real life until moments ago, (laughs) because you do daily in-depth criticism and commentary about various podcasts but primarily the joe Budden podcast universe so i introduced to everybody danny from the stuff yes hello to the no jumper verse i'm happy to be
1: here i like to say i live on the intersection of content creation and hating so i want to give you something adam okay joe Budden's first album wow This is legendary. It wouldn't
0: be that legendary if it wasn't coming from you. That makes it it more legendary.
1: I bought that when I was a child, and I thought he would be the next hove. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I was telling my friends that, and uh, if you look at his first three singles, it was pretty big. He still had a great rap career, but I'm just saying I wanted to give that to you. And now I have my glasses on. These are my science glasses. I got my science pad,
0: and we're going to do the science today, Adam. I like how you do the science, because I feel like there's a lot of science not being done Mm -hmm. in the podcast commentary. Space. A lot of narratives being spun. A lot of times when I even try to have an in-depth conversation about something that happened, it's hard to get people to want to indulge in the facts beyond the very superficial narratives. It's almost like the Instagram headlines have sort of replaced mm. any sort of in-depth thought sometimes. So every time you say we need to do the science, I see that as you actually having a commitment to perhaps going back to a podcast from six months ago and reviewing it to make sure that you're peeping the energy between certain hosts, et cetera. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, I think it's always good to look back at things in hindsight. Like people say hindsight's twenty twenty, but to actually reflect that in content is very powerful. Mm. And you can kind of see things that people were saying weren't true at the time. Like I know you've been through that, right? Mm. Where people say, oh, this is not about this. And then you go back and look and you're like, no, that's exactly what happened. So that's why I like deep dives. And I think all of you guys probably will have books written about you years from now. So I was like, let me be the guy that can kind of be the person that people go to about that time.
0: Mm. But so, okay, give me a little bit of your early life that leads up to you buying this CD, this godforsaken (laughs) CD, and then ending up in this position.
1: Yeah, It's not a bad album. But um, so I was I was born in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, That's where I grew up kind of before everything hmm. popped off over there. Uh, the south side, Los Suarez, as uh, they call it. Um, between Biggie and hipsterdom. Yeah, between Biggie and hipsterdom. Uh, really, Hove is, Jay-Z is closer to where I live than um, Biggie was. Okay. Marcy's son. Um, and it was kind of like I was a radio head. Like, I was listening to all types of radio. Like, I would skip class to listen to Star and Buck Wild. And um, I would listen to uh, DJ Clue. I would record tapes. I would be listening to the hot 97 morning show so then when podcasting came around it was like it's perfect for me it's Mm. long form people are really diving deep and it was before podcasting had kind of become the second coming of radio right now it feels like very commercialized to me Mm. um but so yeah so that's when i started to study media out in long island at sunio westbury and i had become the college program director of my radio station and the music director yeah And I had a radio show, a TV show,
0: and that was where the science was birthed. Yeah. Really interesting. So, you know, one thing that Benzino said to me the other day when we were talking about why hip hop never really took off from Boston, he blamed it on the fact that the radio stations were Mm -hmm. very, very corporate, didn't even embrace rap at all until very late, and never really worked with any like underground or like smaller artists at all. And he felt like that kind of held Boston back. But when I think about my time, with the radio in Boston, yeah, it was pretty non-existent. It wasn't like in New York where you did have sort of, you know, as much as Hot 97 and Power would spend, like, all their time playing commercialized Mm. for the most part, Mm -hmm. there was still at least, like, a little seed of energy there. There were some hosts to be excited about and whatnot. So that really got you. But when you were going to school for that, what did you think that you were going to end up doing with it? Stupid as I miss I thought I was going to be a radio show host. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um... Quickly, you kind of find
1: out how hard that is to do in New York. And you see that like with the young people who were in New York at the time, like the Scotty Beams and folks like that that were under folks like it's hard to kind of get a radio show going. So when I graduate college, I just like I'm going to get a regular job because it's
0: really like 2011 is the recession. And right. The crazy thing about you saying that is that it went from it being considered almost impossible to get a job hosting a, a show talking mm-hmm. about things because you only had a couple of different mm-hmm. outlets that would host you to now where almost everybody does it. <laughs> Anybody can do it. And uh, very uh, few people have any kind of success with it, yeah. but everybody's doing it. Yeah, and they all look like amazing sets, and it's
1: kind of crazy to have that emulated. But, yeah, it was a different path. But then I saw an opportunity to do this type of stuff where I can go back and look and deep dive and cut the fat out because a lot of podcasts are like three hours long now. And it's Mm. like people don't have that time. So to highlight the highlights is what I do.
0: And that's why I almost feel guilty about listening to your content from time to time because I'm like, wow, I'm really allowing these five minute breakdowns of this podcast to replace any chance (laughs) of me listening to it in full. Now, granted. I'm a clip guy when it mm-hmm. comes to most podcasts besides very few I just don't really have the time to sit down and consume 2 hours or something mm-hmm. even though I really want to like a lot of times when I when, when somebody mentions that like oh that interview tomorrow that's canceled that guy can't come in my brain it's like ooh I can watch some podcasts. Mm. Nice. Like, that's yeah. actually what I want to do with my fucking free time, yeah. but I don't have enough time. And you actually, sometimes I'll even listen to a full podcast, and then I'll end up going to a video from somebody like you that mm. breaks it down, and I notice additional dynamics that maybe I didn't latch on to because of the fact that I'm inundated with my phone and a million different things going on and stuff like that. So I do feel like it's a it's an important service. Mm. But when did you become a fan of the Joe Budden podcast? Early on?
1: I was, I was a fan, I would say, um, around the time Maul got there. When Maul got there, I felt like the chemistry was great. I used to listen intermittently before Maul got there, mm. but um, Maul was kind of the turnkey event for me where it became like, to me, Joe Budden wasn't the most likable person. Mm. Um, and... Rory was kind of like that Gen Z type of dude that made him more connect to me. But then Maul got there and he was able to kind of take conversations, reframe them in a way that I think made the podcast go to another level.
0: That's interesting because I feel like Maul does not get a lot of praise in this current uh, economy because he's not exactly exhilarating. He's not controversial. He's not a hot take guy. Mm. What, What do you really feel like he brought to the table that was necessary there? I think he made it feel like
1: what a lot of people tried to emulate, which is the Friends podcasting thing. Right. Where it was like he was able to talk about things that Joe had went through and make fun of them. Mm. And um, somehow he, like the the infectious laughter, the energy he had in the beginning um, infected all of it. And he was able to talk about his whole connections, his Jay-Zs, his things like that. And he unlocked a different level of the show. I feel like it kind of looked like just guys podcasting, and then became the friends who podcasting.
0: You know, okay, that's one thing. This, this is totally out of order with everything else, but there's <laughs> one thing I've heard you say that I felt a little conflicted about. When you were talking about Melissa Ford, you said basically like she should be giving more of herself in the sense of contributing more stories from her days as a video vixen and mm-hmm. shit like that. She's got to have crazy ass stories about all these uh, famous dudes, etc. <laughs> And when I heard you say that, I was a little taken aback because I've been in the position, no disrespect to them, where I've had past hosts Mm. who would not shut the f*** up about any encounter with celebrity that they've had Mm. throughout their life. Hardcore No Jumper fans are going to obviously know exactly what I'm talking about. But I feel like a lot of times... People who start podcasting and maybe don't necessarily have the IQ to have in depth, provocative discussions end up sort of falling back on the times that they spend, like, you know, their stories from their life. Like, even for me, I've been doing this for like eight years. So I feel like most of my stories from early in my life Mm -hmm. are kind of used up. Not really what I want to focus on. And I feel like I see that in somebody like Joe Budden where it's like, yeah, he probably has amazing fucking stories about being a drug addict, working with all these rappers, getting dicked around by the labels, Mm -hmm. et cetera. But most of that stuff has probably been said by this point in his career. So I feel like he then focuses much more on, what's going on right now.
1: Yeah. I think when Melissa Ford, why I said that was because she is not just a video Vixen, she's the video Vixen. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff that she talks about to me, um, it could be couching her experience as the top video Vixen being the girl that everyone wanted to be with at a certain point. And with Joe, like some of the stories he would tell weren't even that, like he's just a great entertainer that he would talk about going to the club and, Meeting the lead singer of Groove Theory and him taking his girl. Like, those little stories
0: right there mm. are ones you don't expect, right? And I think But once you tell a story like that, it's pretty much used up forever. It's like <laughs> that story is never really going to hold yeah, that much back, right? weight. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, previous hosts that I had oh. were just kind of, like, telling the same f-ing story about celebrities that they were involved with over and over and over. That's and at not, a certain yeah. point, to me, it's just like, this is ridiculous. You have yeah. to leave this alone at a certain point, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's different. Yeah, that's a totally different thing when you're regurgitating
1: the same thing. But when you have a bevy of Nodge like Joe who does it differently every time, then I think you unlock the next level of relating your celebrity to the world in a way that makes it seem normalized.
0: The difference, yeah, it's the difference between a glitch and a feature. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Because it could be the same thing, but it could be used as a crutch or it could be used as a superpower. Yeah,
1: and Joe's kind of mastered that, yeah.
0: I think, why, why do you think he's the pod father? Why is he the GOAT?
1: Um, I think he's the GOAT because he embraced podcasting at a time when it was a joke. And he also took it very serious in ways that maybe others didn't. So, like when you see Gillian Waddle, I don't know if they take podcasting as seriously as Joe. Mm. Um, you take podcasting seriously, I can tell that. And he also is kind of like not just hip hop. Like he can break down a creed song, he can mm. do different things, he can bring the casuals in. And he also quickly realized that he needed other people. He needed friends to do it, and he just loves the game. You can tell. Um, you can tell by his days as a radio host back in Hot ninety seven. That's a part of his journey that isn't really explored much when he was the Hot ninety seven morning show. Mm. Um, and I think all of that makes him the pod father, like dating back to then. Um, not many of the podcasters have lineage dating back to the early days of New York City hip hop
0: radio. If I'm going to give Joe goat status uh, in podcasting, which, I, you know, I'm not going to be biased here. I'll give him that to some degree. I feel like the, the thing that he that you have to give it to him is that there's a lot of podcasts that can do mm. big numbers. Podcasts like, you know, drink champs. Mm. But their numbers entirely hinge. On their guests, I'm not really sure what a Drink Champs chat episode would do views-wise. You know, obviously everybody clickbaits everything. There's basically no chance that there would ever be an episode like Nori and DJFN shoot the. You know, it would always be clickbaited at something. That's just how this game is, kind of, but he has the highest average views for a podcast that is not guest-based, and then they obviously see a surge when they do the guest thing as well, and you probably have to give it to him that as much as their YouTube numbers look decent or look very, very good, Mm -hmm. that they probably also have a a much larger audience on uh, the podcast apps as opposed to somebody like Academics, who does very, very good numbers, but... Nobody's listening to him on any other platform besides YouTube. So all of his views are consolidated in one place. And he kind of like innovated the format of just having a bunch of people talking about topics on a daily basis and not being so interview-based. I mean, I can say that the No Jumper show and all the shows that we've had on here, that was largely influenced by the Joe the Budden podcast. That's like—pop Father is a strong
1: word, but that's another thing. A lot of people try to copy that. A lot mm-hmm. of people tried to get a Rory. A lot of people tried to get them all— and you could see it. Um, I think, I'm not saying you essentially, you emulated that. Like, I heard you say on the previous podcast Mm -hmm. like you wanted it to be the friends or the universe of the Dino Jumper and not be so guest-reliant. And I think that's why I could never consider dudes like um, Nori in that tier. Mm -hmm. And Gillian Waddle, I'm kind of sad that they used to be somebody or a podcast that, focused on friends and stuff like that, but then they pivoted. That is true. They
0: did pivot out of that hard. Yeah. What year, pre-pandemic? Pre-pandemic.
1: Pre-pandemic, I believe. And, I mean, I got them a lot of money, but um, I think it lost maybe the soul of that. Because I remember right when they did that pivot, they lost a producer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the bad came for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, because even when you talk to uh, Mona, don't call me white girl, it's almost like she's just talking about this forgotten age of million dollars worth of game because it's (laughs) like, oh, right. They did have co-hosts at a certain point. Another show. To me, that kind of stuff, it might cost more. Because, you know, if you have to pay consistent hosts, you got to put them on salary or you got to pay them per episode versus if you just get guests, usually that's just based on relationships. And a lot of times you don't have to pay them. But to me, there's something like very resilient about having that group because you're able to, you, you know, no jumpers views are so all over the place. Sometimes mm-hmm. I put out an interview and i will get a million views or half a million views. And sometimes I put out an interview and it gets 10K, 15K. And it's yeah. just like, to me, I've kind of accepted that. A lot of times the clips will do better than the full podcast mm-hmm. because the clips can be titled in a way that yep. draws more attention and everything like that. But if we're going to give Joe the GOAT podcaster status, I do, yeah, like that innovation of just being super early is super important. But you go to your subscription tab on YouTube and you see, Let's say, like, a seismic event has taken place. The slap. <laughs> Will Smith slapping the out of Chris Rock. I, I'm using this as an example because <laughs> this was something that, for like a few hours, yeah. everybody on earth was so fascinated by. Yeah. If you put out your clip talking about it 24 or 48 hours later, it probably was just not going to hit. So you go to your subscription tab, and there's academics, there's Joe Budden, there's Charlemagne, there's me there's whoever. Let's just stick with those ones that we just named. And they each have a 10-minute podcast clip talking about it. Who's drawing you in the most? Because I'm going to be real with you. I feel like I'm clicking on the academics clip before the Joe Bunnick clip. I think given my age, I'll go to the Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe is just somebody Who I know has
1: a flair And the people He has around him Are interesting too I think Ish is interesting I don't know if that's A, <laughs> a source spot for you But I think Which just... one am
0: I beefing with Ish or Ice Ish, Ish. Okay you I definitely can't remember with Ice Okay <laughs> You would not be beefing with Ice Really why He's too street
1: uh, No Ice is just People hate on me But I think he's really Not that engaging As a podcaster mm. But my, one of my goals here is just not be as bad as Ice when I'm doing this interview with you. Because <laughs> if I.
0: <laughs> That's, I don't know. The <laughs>
1: That's the standard. No, because in my channel, I'm very critical of Ice. So if I come here and I'm bad and I'm mm-hmm. worse than Ice, Danny from the Stop has taken an L.
0: I mean, how much grooming do you think was really taking place prior to Rory and Ma leaving? Because that, that was something that I dealt with is that when. AD, T-Rail, House Phone, et cetera, all kind of like abruptly left. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a second string that I was building up behind the scenes or anything like that. So I was just kind of hit with it. Like, oh, you got to try to fucking reinvent your weekly podcast just from nothing. You think that there was a lot of. No, I think there was absolutely no grooming. Joe has said that.
1: Ice just kind of he called him up and he came to the show. Hmm. Um, He brings them to the show. They do their show for about a year, maybe change. And he realizes that he needs to bring in reinforcement. So that's when he adds Flip and Melissa Ford.
0: So. And, and how do you feel about both of those additions in terms of what they've brought to the show? And do you think that adding them was in some way an admission that the original two weren't so great? Because I don't think he ever really talked about bringing in more hosts when it was the Rory and Maul era, right? Yeah, I think um, it was a needed
1: addition because... Ice and Ish had hit a ceiling. You can tell certain episodes, I studied them, mm. where Joe would be like, you guys not going to intro this? You guys not going to talk about this? All right, elaborate more. So Flip, he was a good addition, but I think he might have reached past his usefulness to the show considering how things are going. Mm. Um, But he was very necessary. I know from my own habits, I didn't really enroll in the Patreon deeply until he
0: start, got there. Like I was just one month in, one month out. See, that is... The difference in terms of adding a host who already has an established personal brand, like, for instance, me and whack 100, very consistent 200 K on episodes, the clips going crazy, etc. But people are not going to give me as much credit for that, because of the fact that he was already an established personality already doing numbers on other platforms, etc whereas i feel like to a certain extent there's some of that with the queens flip thing i don't know how established he you could really consider him because i felt like his wave was more from like short form content rather than i know he'd been doing the podcast thing but hadn't he kind of chilled out on it for a while before the jbp era i feel like he was kind of like the next to be that that math role like maybe Mm. the
1: the next tier of like there's the golden standards of drink champs joe bunnan but then there was the guys after that he had stopped but for me I've always remembered Flip as somebody from his podcast where mm. he would interview the Bloods. Remember, he was interviewing the Bloods and all the gang members from New York City, and that was kind of took and off. But I think that caused a lot of friction, so he kind of navigated away from that. And he kind of is quiet until he gets to the Joe Budden podcast.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, that's another thing, though, that I got to give Joe in terms of why he might have the top spot is because he seems to be somebody who has really embraced the potting every day mm. thing or nearly every day. I'm not sure, like, like how often exactly they're dropping because it's kind of convoluted with the Patreon, which I do not subscribe to, and so I do not know how often they drop on there. But it's, I've heard somebody like Queensflip say that they'll be podcasting like every day oftentimes and that is something that i respect because i hold myself to that standard of most of the time doing multiple podcasts per day
1: yeah i think both of you are well oiled machines and i think um, pause but <laughs> well, okay yeah pause you got beard oil you <laughs> got beard beard oil machines and i think both of you have different business models that are really successful and it's it's interesting that the two of you have friction um and you're probably I know a lot of people love to say no jumpers finished no jumper is done but i don't get that impression at all nah. like sitting in the studio looking at even the other sides of businesses that you work in but um yeah your models are i think
0: the gold standard as far as sustainability i'm diversified man i was just having sex with a palestinian woman before i came here name roxy sinner persian maybe she supports Gaza. That's all I know. I don't think she's actually from Palestine, but she's, she tweets awesome. about it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying that to say I can just code switch. Yeah, yeah. I just went from Johnny Sins to <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Podcast real Johnny quick Pr- there. Walter Cronkite. Now, I, uh, I, I've always wanted to ask that.
1: Like I, I thought, this is my notes, Like it feels like that side of your business is way more like profitable. Like It looks like to me. And the way you've talked in the past, it felt like that.
0: Two very different businesses, because one I own 50% of, one I own 100% of, Mm. one has, like, very minimal overhead, whereas No Jumper has much more overhead in terms of editors and hosts, et cetera. And then also, like, subscription revenue versus mostly YouTube, Snapchat, Facebook, money, slash, Instagram, promo, Mm. slash, like, all these No Jumper revenue streams. So it's kind of like and think about the quantity too on plug talk we drop four episodes a week which seems like a lot i think to the fans or to the 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 our peers but meanwhile on no jumper a lot of times we'll drop i don't know like fucking 10 podcasts in a week plus all the clips and stuff mm-hmm. plus like a vlog a couple of vlogs i don't know so it's it's very very different i would say that like with no jumper only recently have i kind of started to take a step back and look at the actual profitability of certain things Mm. with the business and been like, okay, should I be doing 20 interviews a week or should I maybe be taking a step back and putting more time into these other things? Because I do so many things and it just feels like I have this momentum where I have to keep doing fucking interviews because it's just something I'm interested in. But I'm also trying to do the science in terms (laughs) of like, what exactly is the best use of my time on any given day, you know?
1: Yeah, what matters? I And I, I think that's one thing that is fascinating because I was listening to the you and Joe's interview on AMP and mm. kind of seeing you go through the machinations of, like, I know this looks really bad right now, but I see a light at the end of the tunnel, and you're still thinking about that. You're still thinking about which content should I keep, which content should I tweak. Um, but that's why I asked about the plug talk stuff is because, like, you're only doing those episodes, but you could always do more, right? Possibly it feels kind of
0: empty in yeah. comparison. Mm. Just fucking all day. It just feels like <laughs> it's easy. It's fun. Yeah. But like comparing that to like having an in-depth three-hour Benzino conversation, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, that just like means more to me, even if the sex Passion. stuff was like clearly more beneficial. Okay. Also, just how many nuts are you going to bust in a, in a week? You I know? was
1: thinking more about like just managing other types of things that... Right. Under the plug talk umbrella, not necessarily you being all up in the video.
0: <laughs> Sometimes I look at the amount of money that No Jumper brings in, and I'm like, God, maybe I should just really focus on porn more. That's what I'm Sometimes when people get older, they follow the money, and I thought that could be something that happened to you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I, I resent any amount of criticism that I get about the porn stuff. Not not like what you said because what you said was measured, but like when yeah. the fans are like, "Oh, you clearly just care about porn instead no. of." I'm. It's like I do so many more podcast under the no jumper name then it like like the fact that i also am doing the plug talk stuff is like i should be getting credit for that not you fucking trying to act as if the porn stuff was like overshadowing and like maybe it overshadows it because it's hard for you to pay attention Mm -hmm. because you are so horny that you can't avoid looking through my twitter feed without seeing the pictures of girls like i I showed up to a porn uh not porn a poker game the other day (laughs) And every dude at the table was making comments about the porn thing. Yeah. And it, it, I'm pretty sure that most of them didn't even know that I interview rappers. Yeah. I'm, that's the thing is like the visibility of that. But, yeah. no, know,
1: I, I think you look like you're interviewing me, right? Like you're interviewing somebody. Who
0: has a smaller page. Mm. So that means you're deep in the weeds and you really care about this stuff. Exactly. Like, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't be doing this conversation if I was really trying to profit maximize. Okay. I would probably be popping a Viagra and just getting another, another net Foxy? out. Yeah. But it's not really. Roxy, know. Danny, do that measurement. I got to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Think how I didn't mix the episodes up. <laughs> um, but, okay. So. What channels were you watching that led you to the idea of being able to make these commentary videos? Because I kind of look at your channel as being, like, the Warren Shy Rack, but for the JBP. It's funny. I used to think about the Warren Pod Rack. Like, I used to think about something like that. That would be a good name. That would actually be a very
1: viral name if you had chosen that. So, um, I have to shout out Shik's move. I mean, I remember um, looking at his channels around the time of the breakup with Rory Morton and Joe. And I would be like looking for stuff, and I was like, I couldn't find anything on it. So I was like, let me become the content that I wanted to watch. Mm. Um, And he, obviously, academics was someone who I thought was on the forefront, except he was doing like stuff that I didn't feel comfortable talking about. Like, Mm. I don't feel comfortable talking about gang wars and stuff like that just because, like, I live in the city and I definitely um, have seen that. But that is what made me. Pivot to that, and I felt like I know this podcast in and out. I was on the Reddit pages, and the Reddit, me commenting on the Reddit, the Joe Bunner, I used to get these crazy upvotes, and I was like, maybe this could be a YouTube channel because this is like a metric hmm. that might transfer to YouTube. So I do a video, and it gets a bunch of views, and I was like, okay, let me keep going, and eventually we get to here. But my knowledge, my pre existing knowledge, also my media background from years ago when I was hmm. in college, I used to do radio shows. I had a TV show, so there was a bit of... Um, blueprint that i had to back like phone on
0: is it kind of nerve-wracking having the world see you and see your face talking because like even for me it's almost kind of weird hearing your voice that i've watched in so many of these youtube clips and seeing it actually come out of a human face (laughs) it's kind of like a weird experience i'm assuming that like you probably are thinking about that a little bit too it's like damn this is like kind of weird like did you always assume that you were going to do a face reveal at some point or not yeah i had to do a race
1: face reveal i mean joe button tweeted my picture out that was messed up joe okay um yeah
0: (laughs) i want to know about that too but okay what's your thought process on that are you are you nervous about this at all
1: about this this interview yeah no um i think at some point you got to do a face reveal and that's how you get to the next i saw act do that where everyday struggle not that this is akin to everyday struggle it's just one interview but no I am not afraid of what I do. I think I'm largely respectful and I feel like maybe you could see, maybe you might see that. Like I feel some other people mm-hmm. who make content about other podcasters be going in. I try to keep it respectful. So.
0: Oh, I agree. There is a big fucking spectrum from like totally <laughs> sick freak version narrative creating, <laughs> spinning uh, content creators yeah. to people who are more reasonable. And one thing that I kind of hate is that there are certain channels primarily in the, Uh, comedy commentary Mm. genre, which I I think you would agree is kind of like more developed than the hip hop commentary Mm. drama thing. Uh, Because I feel like in that comedy space, there's been channels that I subscribe to because I liked a video or two that I saw dissecting a, a, a show like flagrant. And then I, as time goes by, it starts to feel like they are thirsty enough for views and money that they start twisting up their narratives and being willing to, like, create narratives out of thin air and kind of, like, you know, exploitatively exaggerate encounters between hosts and stuff. Do you ever feel yourself uh, a little bit tempted to do that sort of thing? Well, to be frank, people have accused me of doing the same thing. Mm. So,
1: um I can say like I've spoken with members of the show, Imani, uh, Joe, on Twitter Spaces all the time, and they accuse me of that. But I can say, and maybe those guys that you're referencing probably think the same thing. Like I, I don't feel like I'm creating a narrative. I feel like I'm actually representing what um, the show is ha- was happening on the show. So, so wh- yeah.
0: what what narratives do they
1: feel like you pushed unfairly? Ice being bad. Um, like they say, I bring up ice like too much. Like they say, I bash him too much. Um, the old cast being better than the new cast, they feel like that's a narrative that I've heavily invested in. Um, yeah, those are the two ones that I feel there's big pushback on.
0: Those feel like such tame takes <laughs> that <laughs> so many of the fans agree with that it's hard for me to imagine them really getting offended by that, especially in comparison to some of the narratives that I see channels p- pushing about uh, me and other hosts on this channel. <laughs> those seems pretty tame. yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I tell them that. I told them, like, hey, man, I, I really do keep y'all in mind sometimes, but um, I'm going to say what I want to say, and I truly believe. You know how when you believe something and you feel like it's fact? That's why I may sound, like, disrespectful, because I know what I believe is true to me. Like, I believe it. I truly believe ice is not the best podcaster, even though he's a good person. And I truly believe Rory, Maul, and Joe were the best version of the Joe Budden podcast that ever was and probably likely ever will be.
0: What should I do to get better?
1: Well, I feel like he is getting better. I think he's getting more informed. He used to be someone where the conversation would go to die. He would seem like, I remember there was this one, I always bring this one back up, where he was on a podcast and he says his girl bought him a gift, right? And then Joe asked him, what did your girl buy you? And he's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. So, those types of things would happen often. Mm. And I would say that. And then, on top of this, um, other members of the show seem to be critical of Ice. Like Imani saying that, you know, on Twitter, Ice was a different way. I don't know if you remember Ice from the Twitter days. He was very edgy, right? Very edgy. I thought he was like somebody really famous because he was on my timeline all the time. And then Ish saying that it's hard to crack on Ice because um, he's very sensitive. Mm. So, those are the two, those are the, being less sensitive. Being able to take criticisms and being able to defend his points because it seems like when he's challenged on his points, he gets a little bit um, topsy turvy. He he looks disinterested, and he's like, I, "I just said it, just deal with it."
0: Type of thing. To what extent do you think that like actual intelligence matters in this sort of thing, as opposed to like I feel like what you're describing right there is almost like tactical things, social graces. Mm-hmm. There's somebody in the No Jumper verse who's gotten a lot of criticism recently for. Uh, poor podcasting. And when I thought about like what I would recommend that they do, I almost feel like they should go get their GED or like go to college. Like you just need to like do something to stimulate your brain and make it
1: work better. Yeah, adding more experiences. Um and I think that's what my criticism was of ICE is that he proudly flaunted how he didn't listen to podcasts. Mm. So I think listening to different podcasts, different podcast styles is also very intuitive. Like it creates an intuitiveness amongst you. Like if you listen to Rogan, if you listen to Schultz and then you think about and you listen back. And that's my biggest criticism of the current pod is how they flaunt, how they don't listen to the pod. Like that's just weird to me. Mm. Yeah. So I think that would help grow ICE as well.
0: I feel like one thing that I'm kind of jealous of with the Joe Biden podcast is that it feels like they have... Since they only really do one thing, mm-hmm. they are able to spend a lot more time working on that thing. Whereas like for me, when we film the No Jumper show, it's like I, I fucking record two podcasts or whatever other content I have to do that day, and then I'm immediately on... The thinking about the people I have to interview the next day. So it's very difficult for us to really like drill down and point out things. Like one thing I would love to do that. I just straight up do not have time to do is I would love to just like rewatch the podcast, find moments of awkwardness or greatness, take notes, pull the dudes in, sit there and say, okay, watch this moment. Watch how you interrupted this person right at this point when they were telling this story and it fucked up the whole flow of the show or look at right here, how this, this, moment could have been better or or what you did was so good not just negative but positive as well it's just so hard for me to fucking find enough time especially when it does not make really much sense for me from a financial standpoint Mm -hmm. to like put that much time into the chemistry between the hosts but I do feel like if you really really want the chemistry between hosts to be great that is the kind of thing that it's probably worth investing time into
1: yeah it is and I think probably podcasts need directors now and I don't know if everybody has that Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, it's kind of crazy for you to be in that role, right? Because you run top-down things. So maybe if you had somebody who was a producer or director, it might feel inauthentic, but it could be like someone like, hey, when you told this story about how you went to the store, it was very engaging because you provided clear-cut examples of what happened. Hmm. But then there was another time when you told the story and you just – Decide not to tell any details and it felt flat on the audience.
0: We do have people helping put together like an outline for each episode of the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mm-hmm. show so that there's like a guide. But then also, like the worst fucking thing, and I'm sure you remember this happening. Like this is one of Joe's biggest complaints with Rory Mall, was that they would be supposed to dissect like an album or a fucking documentary or a movie or whatever, mm-hmm. and then like the other dudes wouldn't have even seen it. Yeah. And that could be extremely frustrating. I'm already in my head, kind of like pre mad at my co-host because we're supposed to watch the Vince Staples show wow. and the sc- and listen to the Schoolboy Q album. Yeah, and I, it's like hopefully they do it so I don't actually have to be annoyed. But that might happen. They might actually not watch it or listen to it, and I might be annoyed. So I'm kind of like aware that I might be annoyed a few days from now. Yeah, podcasting exists in this like weird place where it's
1: friendship, but it's not corporate. And like mm-hmm. at your job, if somebody told you, "Hey, listen to the Vince Staples album." and also listen, uh, listen, watch the Vince Staples show and listen to the Q, Schoolboy Q album, they would do it. But here it's kind of like, well, it, it's sometimes it's supposed to feel organic. And I think at the crux of Rory and Maul and Joe's creative differences was sometime that balance between organic and business. Like listen to this stuff so we can talk about it. Mm. Um, and yeah, you're right. Sometimes people need to do the homework, but I don't think people do the homework because they rely on people like you mm. and Joe they can turnkey conversations in ways. So,
0: Do you think that the Joe Button podcast should hire you as a producer? <laughs> no, no. Why? You're I, too close th- to it? I'm too, like, I think um, I
1: like doing what I do. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't want to be too, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be too close to the situation. Um, and I feel like there's other people they could hire to uh, do that. I need to be able to be unbiased. Even Some people say I'm not unbiased now, but this is why I love being here because this is not like this is a platform people would be surprised on on right if i was connected to the Joe Budden podcast in any way.
0: Yeah, because I feel like your model is that you tend to go towards like bigger stories when it's outside of the Joe Mm -hmm. Budden podcast. Like for instance, the uh, Jess Hilarious being added or not added to The Breakfast Club. You covered that because that's like a very big story even Mm -hmm. though it's not Joe Budden adjacent. I've seen you cover like some No Jumper related stuff. Usually when it rises to the occasion that it's like worth talking about. Does it, like how many other podcast do you watch on a consistent basis. The other day I was talking to Vlad and he said he does not watch podcasts like at all. Wow. And I was kind of taken aback by that because I watch so many goddamn podcast clips that I was and I find myself like really having to force myself to not click on stupid, irrelevant podcast clips that I'm tempted to watch.
1: I mean Vlad's a legend. I mean he he can do um general things. So I can see why he he probably like watches documentaries about Vietnam the way he like does things. But um I'm sorry. What was the question? We forgot. <laughs> yeah, watching okay. stuff
0: outside of uh, your n-
1: normal routine. So I listen to a lot of Charlemagne. I listen to a lot of non hip hop podcasts, so stuff like Gimlet, The mm. Pitch, um, Serial, and things like Radio Rental. So like scary stories. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with Radio Rental because I like the sound design other podcasts have. Like mm. no disrespect to these type of podcasts I listen to, but I feel like the like playing spooky music when someone's talking can really transform an experience. Mm. Um, on top of that, I watch a lot of documentaries, documentary podcasts. Um, I was listening to something about the George Bush years and um, you know Watergate scandals, like those types of things. Do you have a job that allows you to listen to
0: podcasts on the job, or is this all in your free time?
1: No, I have a job that allows me to um, listen to podcasts in my where I where I work. Um, but there's also scanning you can do on the Reddits and um, that type of information. Mm. And I can also rely on the information from previous years that I have. But yeah, my job does allow me to listen to podcasts because I'm an
0: office worker. Oh, I'm very jealous of that. that. That would be so great for me to just like be able to. Job? If I was like a truck driver and I just knew oh, yeah, like a perfect. security guard, I got like eight to 10 hours where I can just listen to podcasts today. Mm-hmm. But then I know that that would lead me, that would lead me into doing something exactly like what you ended up doing <laughs> is that like, I could only become so much of a podcast fan before I was like, okay, I got to start talking about this shit.
1: Yeah. And I got to say, it's fun being a lone wolf sometimes. Like I don't have to rely on uh, anybody. I used to have a podcast I did back in the day. And the amount of disagreements you get into with other people while podcasting is crazy. Really? Yeah. What was stuff that you dealt with? Just the the creative control. Um, I used to do a sports podcast. And then it was like, why are we doing radio on the internet? Like, why aren't we doing podcasting? Mm. Um, And, you know, where to book the studio, how to pay for studio, how to clip it, how to title it. Should we be clickbaity? There was like a time where clickbaity was like, there's still that now. Um, where clickbaity was considered like the most disrespectful thing you can do. Mm. Where I feel like now people know you got to market yourself. And um, we were talking about baseball games, but we should have been talking about LeBron. Like that—that that was kind of the creative differences. Like, yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, I mean, but but that's always kind of the choice. Is like, do you go towards things that are inherently viral and inherently like the biggest mm. news, or do you focus on things that maybe are more authentically? something that you care about we we deal with that quite a bit because we'll end up talking about a bunch of gang politics and shit on the po- a podcast half the time yeah. it's not really like my world Real but i hosts. know a bit about yeah. it and then like the hosts are just all up in it so we yeah. end up fucking talking about yeah. that kind of shit all the time and we get a lot of comments that are like nobody gives a fuck about crip politics <laughs> but obviously a lot of people do it's just like nice. another large percentage of people that do not give a fuck
1: yeah yeah and it's crazy because then you'd start to think about the fan base. It's like, yeah, 5,000 people may have watched this video, but did like I connect with them more deeply than the video that 35,000 people watched? Mm. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at with it, where sometimes I'll put a video and Maybe it doesn't do the views that I want, but the commenters are way different than the views on the, that are higher. Mm. You know?
0: Yeah, like when you see that a video gets you a surge in subscribers, yeah. that can be kind of thrilling, even if it's not necessarily the biggest... The biggest one. Or even like uh, when we interview chicks from baddies the, baddies. the gender. It's a show on the Zeus Network. It's just basically a bunch of black women attacking each other. It's it's really not I, my I kind of thing, but good. a lot of people seem to like it. Uh, and uh, when we interview those types of women, oh my God. The the, the the percentage of female viewers is like 80%. Yeah, that's very valuable. The exact opposite of our normal episode.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I Like I see like. When I do No Jumper videos, I think I'm not an authority on No Jumper like I am Joe Budden. So they don't do as well, but Mm -hmm. I do see different people commenting. Um, And it's kind of like, well, should I stop doing No Jumper just because there's less viewership? Or should I just double down and bring Danny to the No Jumper verse? Mm -hmm. So it's like all these things you kind of kind of do, whereas other people do No Jumper videos and they go
0: crazy. But they might do a Joe Budden video and it flout. Do you find yourself having to check yourself when you're potentially making a video with like a uniquely negative angle that you have, you, you ever check yourself and say like, well, maybe I'm adding to the negativity here and not necessarily reflecting reality. Cause that's the opinion that I have of some channels, not, not yours so much. I'm kind of surprised to hear that they feel that way about you. Yeah. I, like I said earlier, I think I try
1: to very much reflect what I'm watching Um, And in the video, I might say, like, I don't think these guys are going to fight each other. But I do sense that there was some type of disagreement between Ish and Ice when I said that he's okay okay with being made fun of. Mm. I felt like Ish felt as if that's not true. Um, And I try not to create narratives. Like, I try to base them on some reality. I look at myself as a sports dude. Like, if this dude made a bad play, I'm going to talk about it. But Mm. I guess that's something that... Um, people say like, why don't you do a positive story like Joe just had a 700 episode why don't you do a- Joe Budden has a 700 episode anniversary
0: who gives a fuck that's <laughs> yeah. such a
1: non-story yeah yeah and that's my thing is like you go where the people want to hear what you want like it's it's kind of selfish, I think. Like, people want to hear about the podcast dynamics, and I think that's what my channel exists for, so I'm not going to move
0: off that. I've seen it where it's very, like, giving somebody advice on a fucking bike trick or a skateboard trick or something sports-related, athletics-wise, you know, if I corrected my friend's form in the gym, not the kind of thing that they're likely to take personally. On the other hand, correcting how somebody podcasts Oh man, it's a it's a a, a minefield because yeah. it's so easy to offend people because you are essentially critiquing their personality and that is like something that it's really it's hard to have a relationship with someone where you can do that you have to be extremely careful with the way that you do it because so many people are so sensitive and that's something that I've uh, encountered many times I know that back in the day there was uh, some no jumper podcast clips that I ended up taking down because me and my my now wife. I was basically doing that, you know, I'm like basically saying like, you know, me telling her to to do something or not do something on the podcast, very unlikely to go well in comparison to doing that to one of my hosts. But even with the host, extremely difficult because they're likely to take it as me just calling them dumb or obnoxious type shit. You know, you have to really go about it in a very deliberate way if you want to avoid that. What the fuck are you writing down?
1: I think what you just said to me uh, was... AD and you kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you gave him creative and that's the thing that I think is lost on this. A lot of that fallout was business, like not necessarily, business, it was creative differences where mm. it's like the tick, right? That was a <laughs> <laughs> I, I Listen, I got three pages of of like me just writing down about that whole time. And, and that that reflects exactly what you're saying is like you gave advice, but it, it came off like you were critiquing that person in a way that was very
0: disrespectful. But also, like, but it wasn't that that wasn't the case. The way I was doing yeah. it was I would give them the critique live during the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, the reason why I'm doing that is basically because it's it's I don't want to go through the whole rest of these two hours with you continuing to do this one thing that I think is like a big miscalculation on your part. <laughs> but then also to sit down and do a meeting where you talk about something that happened conversationally the day before that takes being a lot more deliberate. And, you know, I think that me as a a curator of podcast hosts, I need to be willing to be a bit more deliberate or build out the team to the extent where we're able to do those kind of reviews without necessarily, uh, you know, stepping on people's toes. But for sure, I ran into that problem of just trying to like curate the podcast as I was going, which can be, really hard like even just as a really simple um example like interrupting can be absolutely deadly to a podcast i'm sure that you listen to tons of podcasts where it really stands out to you these motherfuckers will not stop talking over each other and it's just destroying the experience when you're actually in a room with a bunch of people talking if you're not thinking about the final product Mm -hmm. a lot of times all the over talking doesn't really bother you because you're just sort of in the mix that's that's how people talk in real life a lot but trying to Coach somebody to stop doing that during the podcast is very unlikely to work.
1: And I think that's what is seven mics has brought Joe like the, mm. a lot of cutting off a lot of yo 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 hey come on let me finish can it. I talk can I can talk, I talk? <laughs> yeah exactly and I'm like maybe it's time we get away from that or at least put some people off mic so they know that you know they're off camera but yeah that's why I can't do social audio sometimes like clubhouses and oh and god I, yeah it's like. If you listen to podcasts that are produced like yours and Joe's,
0: that feels super crazy. Yeah. So, no, I get what you mean. And that's just a game where the loudest, most bombastic person wins. And even, oh, my God, I've heard Wack talk about the different microphones that they have and how if you get this type of mic or whatever, yeah. then that's going to make it so that you can talk over the other people. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a game that you're willingly choosing to play where the whole fucking po- yeah. point is to be the loudest. Like, that just sounds absolutely terrible to me. But, yeah, like the, the – um, the incentive to have a good structure and not talk over each other—it just becomes infinitely more important once you have seven people. Because, yeah. like, like Myron from Fresh and Fit gets a lot of shit, and uh, you know, some of it's deserved, but like, he gets a lot of shit in particular because of this one clip where Asian Doll was talking to her friend. They're at the table. It's him and his co-host, and then there's like ten girls, twelve girls, and Asian Doll is having a conversation with her friend right there, and he starts barking on her and telling her to stop talking to her friend because. When you have 12 people crowded around this fucking podcast table, one side conversation can really fuck this up. And it's just it's very hard for people to understand that because they don't really think about podcasting the way that you have to as a host.
1: Yeah. And I think there's the cutting off and then there's like the conversation is going a certain way. And then somebody doesn't cut somebody off, but they say something that takes it another way. It's like, but I Mm -hmm. wanted to go that way. Why are you going that way? So, yeah, there's a lot of um, nuances to it. And I don't have a podcast with a bunch of people on it. But I just know as an observer, it, it looks like some of the top guys in the industry are struggling to find out that perfect sweet spot. And I think the Joe Budden podcast has fell victim to it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So where do you think they're at in terms of the overall health of the JBP? I mean, do you do you really think that it's, it's worse right now than it was during the Rory and Mall era? I do feel like a lot of people kind of romanticize that era because it really was an organic group of friends. Mm -hmm. And as the podcast goes and goes and imagine if they end up with a whole nother cast of dudes, it's going to feel even less organic. It's going to feel like it's going to take a lot of work to sort of make it feel like a genuine group of friends. I feel like the No Jumper show has kind of gotten back to that. But in the immediate aftermath of AD and them leaving, it was so hard to put together a group of people where it really felt authentic, you know?
1: yeah i think what it is is i feel like both of you and joe have maybe in some ways lost the organic nature of conversations but the business is probably more solid now so it may be healthier than it was before and that's a perfect trade-off i think the joe budden podcast isn't a good spot to lose a couple co-hosts but i think joe is such a good leader in terms of making entertaining content um, but I, I do think it's a little unhealthy to have all those mics, and I feel like the conversation is hurt on a weekly basis. And I know Joe is trying to dial back and have people appear on the Patreons, but I don't know if that's the best to build on. Um, and I think the Rory and Mall era is is I don't know, cause like let's take wrestling, right? Stone Cold, The Rock. People say that that's romanticized, but I feel like that no, that truly was the best era, mm. and I feel like Rory and Mall represent that. Um, but there was also low lows with the Royal Mall era that this pod is better than. Mm. And um, But I think the pod is healthy by business standards, but I don't think the best creative effort is being put forth.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because I mean... It's easy to forget that during the era of the JBP having Rory and Maul, that Rory and Maul still got shit on a lot for being, you know, not and and not only just by Joe but by the fans as well for being uninteresting or not having good takes or being kind of dull or whatever. You know, probably all the same criticisms that people would levy at them in their current state as well. Yeah, that's an interesting dialogue to have, like
1: about Rory and Maul now. But yeah, at the time when the things were imploding, it was. These guys are industry. The they don't wanna say anything. Little did we know that that may have been colored by what was going on behind the scenes and they didn't feel as invested in the show as maybe they were. How much Rory and Maul do you listen to? I listen to a lot, I listen to a lot. Um, I watch a lot of their clips. I don't listen to every episode, but I catch an episode every so often, like maybe once a week.
0: I almost gave Rory a rant recently when I listened to uh, a clip of, I believe it was them talking about Fresh and Fit and Flagrant, Mm. and I just, I watched this clip, they're spending a lot of time, like, going back and forth over the details of the story, like, did Fresh and Fit even appear on Flagrant? There's time taken out of this podcast clip, trying to figure out if they ever even appeared on it. I'm sorry, this is not the kind of thing that I feel comfortable clicking on. Like, if I'm going to click on something, I need you to be speaking with authority. That's one thing that I could give academics is when I click on a fucking clip, I can usually count on him understanding the subject matter better than me. I ultimately did not make that clip. I thought about making it. I was going to go big 22. But I was going to text Rory too and be like, yo, This is just content. I'm just gonna fucking go off on you guys. Yeah, but like it's 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 just for fun because I don't want you to like feel like I actually don't fuck with you because I do fuck with you. But you know that would have been good actually if I did that because it would have gave him something to talk about. We could have talked about it, you know. But I'm kind of letting people in behind the the veil there. I don't I don't do a lot of that. But that but I think it's that you do it with me. That's all. Well, but that's like that's like uh, Israel dropping the pamphlet saying like, hey, we're gonna bomb you. Get the fuck out of (laughs) here. There's not war. Yeah. They do that. Yeah. Okay. And that seems kind of, I mean, it's, it sucks that you got to bomb the hospital, but it's cool that you warned everybody to get out beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it sucks that if I went in on Rory Mall, but if I warn them beforehand, then it's kind of like, oh, then this some is just, care, some grace. just for content, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you think that the content over, describe content over everything for the audience if they don't know what that is?
1: Well, content over everything, I think, is kind of to me like wrestling, right? Like where maybe, uh triple h and rick flair are hanging out at the bar and they see some fans and they are like we gotta pretend like we're not cool because content matters more than um us being friends right now and i think um things like joe purposely disagreeing podcasters do this a lot where they take a vantage point that they don't really agree with to further the entertainment value mm. so the entertainment value at all times is the priority friendships
0: Um, how you feel about
1: stuff is secondary to that.
0: That is COE. Sometimes when I'm podcasting with Wack, I feel like he's just sitting there trying to think of anything possible to disagree with me on. And like not that he has to actually disagree with it, but he's just trying to find anything that he can act as if he disagrees with just so that there's content, which I think is a very fair strategy as a content creator. But then also at a certain point, it starts to feel disingenuous, right? Yeah, and the lifespan on that.
1: Mm. In short term, because I I would think you know that like whack and you are probably aren't a, is a long term thing, right? Where it's going to be like five years, you're going to be doing the podcast, right? I would. Think. I wonder. I was sitting there <laughs>
0: with uh, the insane clown posse and him oh. yesterday, and they've been together for like thirty years, thirty two years. Shout out to them. I remember them. And I was just thinking, like. Me and Wack have been doing this for like eight months or some shit. Like, and, <laughs> you know, sorry to put a few ups and downs. Yeah. Like, you know, can I imagine what 31 more years of this would be like? I'm not really sure. That's why yeah. I think, like, the group conversation in hip hop is one that is more challenging than people give it credit for because to stay together as a group over decades has got to be so unbelievably difficult, especially when you have a large group. I mean, that's just two dudes. So that's one thing, but.
1: ICP operated kind of in a counterculture where I think it's maybe easier to stick together. I don't know if maybe they're on mainstream or a lot of people ingest their their music. Um, they stay together as long. I
0: okay. think if you want to take on a, a group project like that that you just have to really be willing to stick it out and think about waking mm-hmm. up like Almost every day of your life putting on clown paint, (laughs) even just that, like you have committed yourself to something that is so beyond what most people have to do. When you think about how easy the life of the Migos is, is that they just walk out on stage and they've, I mean, they're not even a fucking group anymore, but prior to recent events, you know, like, like you you just get to dress however you normally want to dress. You don't have to paint your fucking face. Like, I mean, them taking that on, it's pretty impressive. Weren't they on, like, the federal watch list or something? Like, weren't they? Well, so their fans got the labeled juggalos? a gang. Yeah, the Juggalos. And, in fact, when I, when I went to a college, right when I graduated high school, I went mm. to a college to check it out that my parents were trying to urge me to go to in Keene, New Hampshire. And one of the, the local word around town was that the Juggalos and the Jocks are at war <laughs> in this small town. And I never really like found out much about. I don't know if any bodies were dropping or anything like that, but they were a very, at the very least, like brawling. Mm. And, and actually, ICP are like traumatized from the FBI labeling their fans as a gang because there's all they got dropped from Hot Topic. They wouldn't carry their merch anymore. Money. You know, they they were saying that like a mom got pulled over driving, and her son had a insane clown posse shirt on, and they arrested him for being a gang member. Oh my god! I know, right? That's it's like kind of hard to believe, but yeah. Yeah, I remember when they were on TR. Like
1: they, they seemed like they were positioned to take the next, and then they just got taken away.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah I mean to be fair, like their style. I don't know if it was ever really yeah. meant to be mainstream, yeah, top of the charts. Yeah, yeah no, but I don't think so. That's they have had okay. their own. I feel like they were like a real voice for white trash culture <laughs> that, like, white people didn't have at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. Now we have like Stephen Crowder and Tucker Carlson and stuff. Stephen Crowder, who's that? I don't. I Tucker Carlson, I know. But. So you're really not on the the right wing <laughs> yeah. podcast scene, huh? Yeah,
1: I thought I was expecting to see a, a right wing it, wing of this thing, like they said when um,
0: everybody left. <laughs> Richard that? Spencer was here, just <laughs> yeah. giving a speech I with thought He sp- was going to be back there. Like, I know. <laughs> no. wait, how did you avoid becoming a red pill podcast guy? I don't even know red pill like that, but you mean like the ones where they talk about like women and how they treat men. Dating and how, and how what you should expect from a woman as a man and <laughs> how to carry yourself and what to do and not to do on a date, et cetera, or what whatever. Stop. Fresh and yeah. fit, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is that, that doesn't tempt you at all? No, it doesn't tempt me. Um, and actually, I think I get a taste of that whenever
1: I like make a comment about Melissa Ford, yo, they be at me like, and it's like, why are you protecting Melissa Ford? But now I, I try not to, um, like, back with the gang stuff, back with this red pill stuff. I try not to get too crazy into that because I'm afraid of the energy it might bring back to me. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to... I feel like people might think I'm a character as Danny from the stop, but I really feel like this is genuinely me. Like, analyzing podcasts, I don't want to give out relationship advice. Um, Back when I used to do programming program directing for my college radio station. A lot of people used to do shows about, like, sex and stuff like that. I was like, this is so not engaging. If Mm -hmm. I ever make a radio show, I'm not going to talk about that. And same with gang stuff, same with Red Pill and all that stuff. I don't know if I'll change one day, but that's kind of my stance on it.
0: I can kind of imagine that all that Red Pill shit, dating conversation shit 10 years ago would have been very, very interesting to me. 20 years ago, when I was fucking—when I was, like, fresh out of high school— I, oh my God, it's actually like really, really cringe and embarrassing to think about how much I probably would have enjoyed and been interested in that content. Cause when you're young and you're really trying to like figure out women and like figure out how to control, how how to behave, how to, you know, how you're supposed to move around in the world, how to attract women, et cetera, especially these days where it's just seems like really challenging to be on the, the dating market, given that there's just so such transparency of information on these dating apps and everything like that. I think that shit would have sucked me in so hard when I was young. And at this age, it just really doesn't at all. But I wonder if I was single again, would I all of a sudden be very interested in that shit? Probably not, because I feel like I've kind of figured all that bullshit out.
1: Yeah, I think with the red pill community, it's important to remember that the cream rises to the the top, even in that community. Like Andrew Tate and Kevin Samuels, they they probably would have found a way to get to the top of some niche Hmm. because of how good they were at speaking. Um,
0: I think if anything, the niche was kind of created because right. of their fan bases, and then when you look at the other adjacent channels, those are. The reviews. You know, there just needs to be more content about this stuff, so people end up going to the pearls of the world. You fuck mm-hmm. with pearl. That's the lady, right? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the lady. lady. <laughs> Allegedly, they they do. Some people think she's trans. But, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, I'm not talking Does it touch to on that? But yeah, I, I'm familiar with. I don't watch her, but I'm a familiar
1: of. She got demonetized.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. She, I interviewed her very early on, and she, she's a real piece of work. <laughs>
1: what happened? <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, she just, like, really heavily leaned into the, like, girls are dumb, let's go viral by saying that girls are dumb type mm-hmm. content, which, you know, especially as a dad with a young daughter, it just really kind of horrifies me. Yeah, yeah. Just to see. Like, girls are not dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of incentives for girls to basically, like, not, not be dumb. Yeah. But... I don't know. It's just like so so much of it. Or or even like her more recent stuff has just been like tweeting about how younger women are more attractive than older women. Which the very basic element of that is pretty obvious that like yeah, the average 20-year-old woman is more attractive than the average 40-year-old woman, but she just takes it to the logical nice. extreme and it's just like what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Like this is not this is not where you should be going with your content. It's I don't right understand. Hit me with something else in that book. Oh, what else you got? Um, I have things over here. Yeah. Listen, yeah.
1: listen, fire away. Me. I don't, I don't want you to be taken aback by some of the questions I asked. You might think I'm going too back in the past, Whatever but you, want. you sat down with Joe Budden, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember I saw your blog the other day where you were in Waynesburg. Great stuff. Cause that's my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. But Go when boys. you sat down with Joe Budden, I feel like there was a lot of things going on. <clears throat> Sorry. Pardon me. And, um, How did you feel after that? I feel like at the time, everybody thought you cleaned his clock in that Mm -hmm. argument. And I agree. But then when the breakup happens with you and everybody, everybody starts to reframe it as if, yo, Joe was right. And I don't think any of the points that they made in that was any way indicative of what would happen later. But I also noticed that there was signs of tension at No Jumper during that interview as well.
0: What were the signs of tension in No during that interview?
1: Well, you had earlier like about 30% into the podcast said that you had were having discussions with people about um, saying that they
0: wanted like ownership,
1: you know, Jumper mm. brand. And I was like, that seems recent. but That does not seem
0: like a callback to me. Nobody ever brands. like formally asked me for ownership in the brand just because it would be so absurd and outlandish because it's <laughs> like I just like have built it up to a point without anybody. But but no, actually, there were some some hosts who were it. around way back in the day <laughs> who were kind of pushing narratives like that and just saying like I was around for all these years. Why don't I own a percentage of yeah. it? And I mean, that, that was very uh, troublesome to me me because that's not how this works. Here's how it works. You either get paid with money or you get paid with ownership. And if you get paid with money, you can't show up after the fact and demand ownership from a legal perspective. If you weren't being paid with money, you could show up and say like, well, I think I deserve 20% of this. I'm going to sue you because I feel like I deserve this. You know, that's why you pay people is because you want to retain ownership. So I definitely had, you know, some back and forth back then. But I mean, I, I see that with Groups of podcast hosts all the time. There's this like smaller uh, podcast called the Apollo that is like basically like a. It stems from the whole back on fig universe. It's like some dudes that they're friends with started their own podcast. This one dude MacWop is paying for everything. He bought a fucking warehouse. He's doing the podcast. Whatever. Now all the other hosts on the show are like, we should start a new channel. We should be splitting the fucking super chats. We should be splitting the income. It's like. Have you not acknowledged the amount that he's fucking invested into yeah. this? Like it's a much much smaller version of the no jumper saga. Yeah, but it's, hilarious. it's you know it, it's it's kind of like a. A, a extremely common thing to have people who don't know shit about business going to the person who's actually like going out of their way to do proper business and build their shit up like a real business and demanding things that are basically totally outlandish. And that, that will just happen until those people get educated enough to realize that that's not how the game works.
1: Yeah. But that takes a while. I may mean, never happen, and people just get bitter and start to say like they were robbed like sometimes. But yeah, yeah um, on top of that, There was something interesting happened that I thought was real. You were supposed to be the state of the culture co-host, right? Okay.
0: So (laughs) Joe hit me up because I was just writing about this in the uh, history of No Jumper documentary, talking about how you know in a period, a brief period from like 2015 to 2018, I went from just like a pure fan of hip hop media to. Joe Budden hitting me up on Twitter. I just went back and, like, read through the DMs when I was writing this and wow. saying, like, oh, like, come meet up with me so we could talk about you being on the show. I think, like, I already was just way too successful at that point and making way too much money that, like, I, I just – there was no dollar amount that he was going to be able to throw at me that would actually make me move to New York. But then also when I think about it, dude, like, what would my role have been on that show? I was talking to Joe on the Spaces. I would have been a big white punching bag. That's exactly what
1: I said. (laughs) So on the spaces, I told you, like, in that, like, you you kind of painted Adam out to be, like, this horrible person, right? Mm. And I was like, well, why did you want him on State of the Culture? And then I made the analogy of, like, you know, Hannity and Combs, right? You have the kind of six-foot, the part you do with nice hair. And then you get the geeky looking Democrat to kick his back in.
0: I always think of this example and I feel like people don't remember that show anymore so they no, don't know. I remember
1: him. that show. The thing is I watch Fox News because they used to kick ass in the ratings and I was like, why do the Republican hosts always win? Mm. But yeah, I think you were just going to be the columns of state of the culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably something like that. I mean, because uh, you know, I've always uh, followed Scotty Beam and I noticed that she's like talked shit about me a few times, like maybe before That's or true. after that time period. So she would have been Ready to tee off on me. Maybe Joe would have been a little bit more diplomatic. I don't know. I feel like Remy I probably <laughs> might have got along after a period of time. Shoulder to cry on, right? I don't know. <laughs> I went to a rap battle and her and her girlfriend took uh, metal folding chairs and pulled them right up to the front of the stage. So everybody's standing and they're the only ones sitting down. Yeah. And I was like, I like that you carry yourself with such a degree of respect. But also, like, Even him breaking down that show, I'm just standing there thinking, this makes no fucking sense. This is never going to work. What did did you think? Like It was like watered down everyday
1: struggle? Did you think it was just like...
0: It sounded like a boring version, like a boring, not organic version of the Joe Budden podcast. Mm. And then it also just sounded like it was going to cost a lot to produce. And even at that time, I was just thinking like, well, unless you guys get crazy sponsorships, this shit is not going to pay for itself. They never got sponsorships and never turned into anything. But but there was that whole era, and this is a perfect time to talk about it because Buzzfeed just like offloaded Complex for like a hundred million dollars, which might sound good if you're not familiar with the fact that they were worth like three hundred million dollars like a couple of years ago. And um, there was this whole era, and Everyday Struggle was part of it too, where you had all these big media companies thinking that they were going to be able to conceive of a hip hop based show, mm-hmm. and they were going to be able to make a shitload of money off of that content. And for a time period, that drove up the rates that podcast hosts could expect to get. Because let's say that at that time, I had wanted to hire academics. I would have had to go head-to-head with Complex in terms of what to pay him. Obviously, he had his own channel, so that wouldn't happen. But, <laughs> you know, now, it's just slowly becoming a reality. Like, the, you know, the, those Spotify deals that everybody was getting. Somebody like me is essentially competing with those kind of deals, even though not, not literally, but like now that shit's going, going away. And now it's kind of like the perceived market value of a podcaster is kind of coming back to earth and meanwhile buzzfeed and complex and all those channels they're they're not under the uh, illusion that they're going to be able to just hire three or four guys that know about hip hop and create a successful podcast out of thin air it's not going to happen it's going to be created by the actual stars, because an act an or a Joe Budden or a me is just going to create our own thing, and what we are going to be able to get from a complex is pretty marginal. Yeah, yeah. The cons- the consolidations of all these big media
1: platforms that used to be the kings are pretty sad. Like mm. Vice and all of these people, but um, yeah, it's interesting to to see every everybody's market value go all the way up and then go all the way down, and I think what happened with See the Thing is ending, right, is there's an illusion to some of these people who got big deals for ads are now having to realize companies are like these commercials aren't getting the return mm. that we want, and now everybody's value is being realized in real time.
0: Yeah, because that's crazy. Because Roy and Maul leave the JBP, boom, they signed with who was it? Radio Sirius? One, serious? Okay, so they're like having a financial. Path paved for them right there, so they're good. Doesn't matter how well the show is doing, you're still going to be able to make X amount of dollars. And then same thing with Mandy and Bridget Kelly, who you know, shout out to them and everything. But I was pretty shocked when I went to their YouTube channel and realized that the views were like five thousand an episode. Something because to me, <laughs> I remember the Joe Budden era that they might be getting like twenty or thirty thousand yeah. an episode on YouTube, and that seemed like a pretty bad failure to me at that time. And then when you made a video about it and you said like, well, they had you know, a deal with a big company. But I mean, if you're getting 5,000 views an episode on YouTube, that's not really, those deals are going to go away at a certain point. You know, they, they probably signed them or Rory in that case to like, try to boost them up, try to build them up. And then at a certain point, they kind of realize, I guess we're not going to be able to do shit to help you.
1: I think a humbling has come. I don't know if Rory and Maul apply that, but even the academic Spotify deal was kind of like, I had, I mean, at the time I was excited for academics deal and I was like, but then the podcast didn't come back to Spotify. So um, I
0: think there was a reason for that. And I'm not doubting his ability to maintain the academy over the next few years or whatever, but pretty disastrous start. Because what happened? What do you mean, Lil Boom that? got exposed oh, okay. as a redacted, you know, which that, I mean, crazy. Troy Al just got locked up. I don't know how long that's for. And then, like, he had the comment section podcast with, like, four random dudes that he talks to on Discord, and that doesn't really seem like it's panned out the way that it was supposed to. So I feel like he feels like now he's kind of starting from scratch, unless Troyev gets out soon, which I don't know how many years he's expecting to go down for.
1: I got to say something. You might say I'm messy. Okay. Flacco appeared
0: on Academics right. Podcast. Thoughts on that? I, know I saw a few little clips when I saw the five-hour stamp. I was like, okay. I don't I don't got time for this. Why, how, how did you feel about it? No, I thought
1: it was great. I thought Flacco was in his bag. I thought it like, man, to see the growth of him. Um, but what I thought was like it seemed like he was perfect for the academy and there's people making those types of conversations, even with this might be messy, but Flacco saying that he doesn't make five figures at No Jumper. I was like, that's interesting. I think he said he didn't make six figures. Oh, six figures at No bad. Jumper. My bad, yeah, that would have been bad. Six figures. That's exactly what he said. So you did watch that
0: part. Oh, that part got quoted to me or at least (laughs) sent
1: to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was interesting. It was like, and people seem like Flacco and Act two peas in a pod, right? Like they, like he's. Are they too similar? I think it'll be like Ryan Rossillo and Bill Simmons, where it's like maybe they're similar, but they're still different. Mm. And I feel like those guys would be perfect together.
0: Mm. I mean, it's definitely a possibility that he could be better utilized over there, you know? I don't know. If I actually made him a formal offer, then I guess we would have to really take a look at the numbers and say, like, is it worth it? I don't know. I mean, I'm not above having a that more. sort of conversation. I do think it's kind of weird because I feel like he could get a lot of different hosts. Like, he does really good numbers with fucking Aunt Glizzy. Okay. Why doesn't he start a podcast with him? I feel like when he said that he gave Troy out 100K... I was like, you should have gave Aunt Glizzy 100K. <laughs> it's funny to see your podcast, Michael. You know, well, I mean, he's just, he's done podcasts <laughs> with a bunch of people that have yeah. done very, very well. Just seems to me like you should probably, like, okay, before I would hire a Troy Ave, because, okay, Wack was trying to pitch me on the Troy Ave show. Wow. On here and shit, like during the the episodes wow. of the Adam and Wack show, and, or maybe it was off camera, but I think it was on camera as well. He would be like, I'm going to, you need to do this deal with Troy Ave. And my thing is, number one, he's in New York. I'm over here. So it's like, if anyone is going to be successful on the No Jumper podcast, it's going to have to be because they mesh so well with me and the other hosts that they kind of just become part of it. And it's... It's just, we're not gonna have a successful show that's on the East Coast that none of us are on. Like, now, maybe if it was already an existing popular show and you put it on the November channel, maybe you would see a bit of a boost, especially if we're promoting it. But, you know, generally, the only success that I've ever been able to have was by actually like incorporating people into my world. And if I, I feel like act by taking the Troy F thing and putting it on a much smaller channel, I mean, I, I don't know how that was going to really ever work out. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it didn't work out for other reasons, but maybe it seemed like I'd I like Troy Av's show. It did kind of do good. I'm a, I like his music, too. So really, and a lot of people make fun of me
0: for that. But. You're so Brooklyn. I, yeah, mean, I, was... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just didn't like when I was looking at the numbers and I watched a few clips. I don't know. I mean, like Troy Ave is somebody who can go do an interview with me or Ak or, or Vlad, whoever and do really well. Really well being like, you know, 200, 300, maybe 400,000 views. But I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel like people want to hear him on a daily basis. I do.
1: Th- I could see that just because not that it, it's kind of his persona, like arrogant um, and maybe sometimes lacks a little substance, substance, like where there's not deep conversations happening. Where mm-hmm. Joe is like deep conversations capable of that. I can see that with
0: Troy. Deep conversations ultimately are what it all comes back to because that's one thing I've kind of realized is that the value of a viral moment is so much less now because that viral moment will be quickly farmed out to TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And it's just like, you know, who's going to go watch a two hour podcast to see the one 30 second moment where people nearly came to blows or whatever the fuck it is. You know, it's like, meanwhile, on the other side of things if you have a Lex Friedman podcast that's mm. four hours, I mean, good luck putting that on TikTok, you know? You might be able to find some little clips, but it's it's something that is not meant to be consumed. In short form, it's meant to be consumed long-term, or long-form, so that works. I, I feel like anyone who's really, like, overemphasizing the viral moments is kind of not doing themselves any favors, and I say that with the red pill space in mind, that the, the, the girls walking out of the podcast... The TikToks might go nuts, but is anyone really, like, going crazy tuning into the full-length VOD for that? I don't know. Are you connecting to people with that? Yeah, it feels like all those all those gimmicks. You know, it's like the same thing that SoundCloud rap went through, where mm-hmm. for a period of time, people were very, very impressed with a young guy with pink hair and face tattoos screaming at random passerbys or having a gun sticking out of his pants or whatever. And all these gimmicks were really hitting for a period of time. And then at a certain point it just wears off. And Mm -hmm. now we're kind of in like peak disillusionment with people and rappers because it's just people haven't really found something interesting enough for them to latch onto aside from talent and the actual good music, which is the hardest thing to fake, right? Yeah. It's always like, you can't engineer that. Um. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, this,
1: this all started stemming from the sit down you had with Joe um, back in 2022. And I found it just interesting, like some of the arguments that were
0: being made that didn't really stand up to what I was listening to. Right. And even when I talked to Ak about that original argument on the podcast, he just said like, good job on standing up to these dudes busting out these 2015 ass arguments. I think it was what he said, which I agreed with that take in the sense that I think that those guys could have won that argument. How they would have had to do some fucking research and find some yeah, really yeah. do some killer. Find some killer examples of me asking messy questions and find a messy question that I asked where the guy got shot a month later. You know, call me out on some shit like that. But it was just so weak. It was so badly put together. And and I saw the arrogance of Joe Budden in that moment because I'm like, you you could have easily put in the necessary time to come to this conversation prepared, but instead you thought that your natural charisma was going to be enough to carry you and it didn't work out. It was funny. There was one point where he's referencing your Kevin Samuels
1: Video and he says, check the comments. I bet you there's gonna be people. And then the comment is like, I love Kevin Samuels. This
0: means so much. He's like completely backfired because he was telling me they're like, oh, Kevin Samuels is so controversial. And I'm like, with who? Because <laughs> yeah, that he's that controversial to your audience yeah. because you got mad, grown ass black women watching your podcast. Guess what? I don't have that problem. All mine's is fucking teenage boys. Yeah. I don't <laughs> have to think about that, you know. And like uh, the Kevin Samuels fans are coming in mm-hmm. and they're just. I'm not hearing from the dissident voices and in, in that situation. And, you know, obviously I would like to have that uh, fan base as well. doesn't seem terribly likely. Maybe we should hire some female talent at some point. But Dude. very hard to find women that resonate with the audience as podcast hosts. Especially a 90% male audience. Like Especially that, yeah. yeah.
1: Do you feel like sometimes, because I, I think this is my issues with the men on the couch, the other men on the couch, is they're very critical of content creators – in a way like and then they don't have to make those choices right mm-hmm. so they'll be like this is mad clickbaity why would you do this and i'm like but you are just showing up to do a job and this is i think what the issue was with warrior mo and Ak. um like ish and ice were passing all this judgment on you but they don't necessarily ever have to make content on their own and they mm-hmm. can kind of rely on joe to make all those choices yeah. Do you feel like that there
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's easy to sit up in your little house and just, you know, cast judgment when you don't actually have to worry about. And and, I mean, you saw so much of that with the dudes who left this channel Mm -hmm. is that they were all very, very critical about all these different things and and thought that they were all deserving of more money. And then they leave. And guess what? You're not making any fucking money now. It's like, you know, it's just the reality of it is that like, oh, now you get to deal with all the exact same shit that I was dealing with. Except that my business is sort of uh, held up by ancillary income streams that you are not going to have access to, like the fact that we have a million subscribers on our show on Snapchat, and we get you know ten paid posts a day on the No Jumper Instagram and shit like that, you know. And uh, that has been that has been quite enjoyable to see other people realize that they didn't know as much about the business of running I, a podcast as they thought they did. I think
1: it's weird because when you ask people about which networks are struggling, yours is always going to come up, right? Because they it just it's easy to say Adam's struggling versus, yeah, no, uh, Drink Champs is struggling right now. But I did think about what about the Instagram, what about the TikTok, what about the Snapchat, what about all that other stuff, what about your store, um, what about the merch that you have, and it, that doesn't get brought up. But I I wrote this down because one of the themes in your No Jumper in the AMP Show that you did with Joe was kind of like this redundancy, right? This redundancy of what Fig factions were doing within your network at right. the time, and it seems like that's happening now with them, where it's there's this Fig Munity umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem like the priority, and it's so much so that people within Fig Munity are saying, "Oh, we're not Fig." <laughs>
0: <It's> <laughs> you like, saw that, clip, yeah. that yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm like, "Isn't it?" I'm not trying to take sides or anything like that, but it's just crazy, like, I guess what you did with MacWop, like, to see some of the things play out
0: exactly the same. exact same, same thing. And Except it, way less money at stake. <laughs> because literally, like, you're talking about people that I was paying six figures a year. You were paying them six figures a year. Some In some cases, okay. you know. Like, maybe not. They make it seem like you was paying them. Maybe not after yeah. taxes, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, but I mean, like, they have, like made statements about how bad they were getting paid and then literally do an episode like the next week and just acknowledge that it wasn't actually that bad because the thing is is that most of the people who left don't pay anyone or they pay like one guy. I got a whole fucking staff here to be able to support us doing different content all day. And I mean, that's just... In a way, it's like they behaved like a bunch of people at their first job, you know? And they probably would never... If they were given another opportunity, if there was an exact clone of No Jumper that offered them the same exact opportunity that I offered them, they probably would handle it much, much differently going forward. And if they didn't have so much pride caught up in it, they would probably just be, like, asking to come back.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting the way you kind of fire back at them. There's, like, these two atoms, right? There's Big 22, right? Which is, mm, like, good man. macho man. Big 22 is, like, zero and then there's <laughs> Adam, which is, all right, the business was like this, this and that, right. this and this and that. And then, uh, we see the ads. You were also allowed to do your respective shows, and you were able to double dip, right? And I feel like when you do that, it's very interesting
0: to me because that's the part that probably stings. But you want to know what is Is There's like podcast Adam, and then there's like short form Adam, like mm-hmm. yelling into the fucking phone <laughs> in the yard. It's just like two different mediums where like one is going to translate better than the other. Whereas if I came on here, ranting and Raven, like a fucking Adderall fueled wrestler for two <laughs> hours, it would come off very strange. Yeah. Whereas like, uh, you know, when I go and I'm like yelling into the phone in the yard, the whole point is to kind of just make this like really intense 60 seconds that will make people laugh and be entertained. I mean, like that's one thing that I think I like learned over the last year or two is that really the entertainment is, is everything. The the value of the content, how much people are entertained by it is, is everything because so many people, once their content started to dry out and they ran out of shit to talk about with me, they just kind of like, became much more open to watching no jumper content all of a sudden again because of the fact that really ultimately the fans are just excited to watch good content and you know i've seen that with a lot of uh, my peers fucking andrew callahan got canceled out the ass mm. motherfucker came out making banger videos every week i ain't heard shit since mm. you know like he's he's just making killer videos this shit's doing better than ever because yeah. his content is so good you know yeah i think um There's a certain feeling you get when
1: some a creator that you respect drops a video. Like it feels like a blanket. Like Mm -hmm. like when you're just watching that. And I think there's some people that can't replicate that. And I think your vision with navigating away from lives, right, Mm. is is probably reflective of that. Like a live sometimes doesn't feel like appointment viewing in the way that something prepackaged does.
0: Honestly, though, the problem with the live thing is that you can make a pretty good amount of money on YouTube if you drop the content edited with the swears removed and you you know and we still do some live content but it's really rolling the dice in terms of like if you'll get monetized or not and the rates that we were getting during the pandemic and the live content was just paying way better i mean that just hugely impacted my decision i used to want to have people live all fucking day like we got to figure out something that they could be doing live here all day long and then as time goes by that that really kind of fizzled out yeah, yeah. Which I don't think is exclusive to us. But in general, live is very much like it creates a very engaging experience with the user. But then at the same time, it's really not great for building a business, you know, unless yeah. that's what you do. I mean, look at Aiden Ross. I mean, his whole business is based around being live. It wouldn't make any fucking sense if it wasn't live.
1: Yeah, I think that's why when um, you were having your issues, I was like,
0: yeah, I feel like Adam's right about the live stuff. Do, <laughs> but- do you watch shit live? Mm-mm. No, me neither, really. I don't care. Because I want <laughs> to I I watch the clips after the fact, or even if not, it's like, if it's a two-hour podcast, I'm perfectly happy to watch it at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. versus 6 p.m. when it's live. Like, it just doesn't really, you know, I'm not going to talk about it the instant it comes out anyway. It's like, as long as I watch it before I might comment on it, then that's fine. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, 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 I don't know, man. I, I There was... I have so much stuff Like I've been wanting to ask you.
0: We have things. probably 25 minutes before Whack 100 storms okay, in cool. here and cleans so, the table, just to put it in perspective. Shout to Whack. I'm going to ask these questions. Did you and Flip have any type of interaction? Uh, Not that I know of. I don't think I ever have uh, spoken to him. I think I DM'd him at one point when I watched one of your videos saying that there was uh, trouble in paradise, and I said, hey, how much are they paying you? And then he didn't respond. Because Flip references
1: somebody like coming to him and asking, like, giving him a deal or, like, trying to get him away from the JVP. And I've always felt like you could have been that guy because when they talk about you on the show, he's often very kind and treats you with kid gloves versus the rest of the cast who calls you a piece of crap. Really? That's yeah. very good to
0: know. I do like Queen's Flip. <laughs> but, no, our conversation, I think I DM'd him and said, what are they paying you? And then he didn't respond. Also, WAC is about to be 20 minutes later than I suggested. So.
1: Oh, so I got That's pretty good. Okay, well, you know, I I come to do the science. Um, Yeah, so it's interesting to hear you say that. Now I'm wondering, like, maybe if that was
0: positioned as you making an offer
1: in some ways. Because asking someone what they make could look like that.
0: He could be exaggerating because of the fact that, you know, acting as if you have a bunch of deals on the table is probably beneficial to Mm -hmm. your bargaining position. But I also would assume that he's probably gotten, like, more substantial to be real, he
1: didn't say you reached out. I just thought that he that you did because of the way he talks about you is different.
0: And he probably just recognizes that I'm a real one because he's <laughs> a real one. You know, he's been fighting people in the street in these skits for all these years. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We're different types of real ones.
1: You're different but types of probably real ones, fair to definitely. say. Um, I also wanted to ask, um, what did does it feel weird to have other people attack your business when? It kind of seems like your business is in uniquely positioned in a way to survive all of like the adpocalypse that's coming for the podcast industry in this space.
0: You know, I feel like Joe's more positioned to be able to survive a, a Holocaust business-wise. I don't know. Is that true? Because I, I, I feel like I've always heard he makes a shitload from Patreon. So that will make your business very resilient, right? But then it's also really hinging on the fans. You know, our Patreon certainly took a hit when those dudes left. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have managed to weather many storms, the adpocalypse being for sure one of the biggest ones, the uh, the host leaving another big one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, people attacking each other's businesses. It is kind of weird to realize that people do that sort of thing on behalf of their own business. They're like a content creator will go to war with you because they realize that if they negatively impact your business or if they are seen as the victor, they might conceivably actually be able to take your fan base a la King Vaughn going at NBA Youngboy at the exact moment that he realized that he had already maxed out dissing FBG Duck. You know, Vaughn was just so eager to beef with Youngboy because he realized, like, I can take his fans. Pivot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and mm-hmm. I
1: think on, on the idea of being hurt by people, does it kind of hurt to be in this back and forth with Joe? Because I feel like you looked up to him, and he was like, "It was like, this is just a comic book geeky analogy, Superman and Shazam." Like, like it was. I'm like, not familiar <laughs> enough with Shazam, but
0: uh, yeah, no, it does kind of suck because you got to think about it. When I went on that amp show with him, mm. I was doing so because I kind of needed to make a public statement at that point. I didn't have PR at the time, which I probably should have, but I felt like I needed to make a public statement. I was on the phone with multiple different high-profile hip-hop media types that morning who told me, do not go on a live stream platform with Joe Budden right now. And I said, nah, Joe's cool, man. It's going to be all right. It'll be cool. And then I get on the phone with him or on the amp call with him, and he basically like you know, totally... Let me down in terms of like what I would expect from him as like a business person or like even somebody How who I thought think he did that. I thought we were close to being friends. I think that he was salty about the fact that I was perceived as having dominated him uh in the prior argument on the podcast, and I think that he resented the fact that I did a bit of a victory lap, so I think he saw it as a easy opportunity to try to get a W over me and marginalize me. And, you know, I think that he was also somebody who is probably kind of resentful of the fact that no jumper was having so much success with having all these different hosts. And when some of them start leaving, that's good for his narrative because, you know, he tried and failed to put together multiple different podcast lineups and they didn't work out. And he paid out his fucking sexual harassment oh uh, settlement and everything, you know, but I, I think, yeah, it was a very self serving move on his part. And you just, you see more and more people on a regular basis now who take the content thing and treat it, who treat people as disposable objects that they can try to go viral off of. And, you know, I respect it to some degree, but with me and him, I thought that we had more of a respect between each other. But then I kind of realized that I had hurt his fragile ego by whooping his ass in a debate (laughs) three on one. How do you feel about Joel's curation of that breakup? Because I'm not even talking about them, but the way he curated it. You mean the no jumper breakup? Yeah. Well, at one point, he was supposed to sign AD. Whoa. Wait, after the breakup <laughs>
1: exclusive. I finally got like after that. Yeah.
0: News breaking moment in the industry I never time. mentioned it. People <laughs> people put me on to that move, but then Wait, it, after the breakup or like yes. before the because that would have been interesting. If it was before, but yeah. I don't know if he went and uh checked the tape, watched some footage and maybe realized that <laughs> Oh, so you're saying he didn't sign them cuz there's like shortcomings. <laughs> if there were shortcomings with Ice and Ish and Joe Budden was being real with himself i think he might have watched the footage and done the science and realized like oh this these other guys who are being heralded as the next top content creators might be more of the same with some of the other hosts you know you don't want somebody who's scared to have an opinion you don't want somebody who's just going to kind of clam up when it comes to when it comes time to make that content. So I don't know exactly why it didn't end up working out. Probably would have been a bad idea on AD's part too, but
1: yeah, I was on a space with Joe. Um, and let me know if I need to wrap up. I'll wrap up. No, no, I will, plenty of
0: time. Wait till whack runs in here with the clean, with the windex. I That's would, when we're going to be done.
1: That would be my goal in life to have wax interrupt, not wax, whack 100 interrupt me. But so I was on Look a space, <laughs> I was on a space with Joe and I asked, as someone who went through a breakup, he would have been uniquely positioned to kind of do the science and not maybe fall into the narrative of the alt-right pivot that was being positioned. Mm. And I thought, like, if he had talked about kind of exactly what... You guys did the same thing where it's like you were trying to correct co-hosts on air about what they should be doing differently. Mm. But instead, A.D. goes on his show, calls in, says that there's some type of link between you interviewing Richard Spence and you telling him... You're kind of redundant. You're saying the same jokes, and that's why he's gone.
0: Danny, let me tell you something. In the history of disingenuous arguments, in the history of nonsensical word salad arguments on podcasts, AD acting like he was offended by me interviewing Richard Spencer has got to be up there because he set up a Nick Fuentes interview a couple of months before that. And the only reason why it took place on this platform was because if it didn't take place on this platform, it was going to take place on his platform. And I just wanted to be there. Well, firstly, he offered it because he kind of like realized that it might look weird if he did it on his platform and didn't bring it to no jumper first. The, but Fuentes, interview. the Fuentes thing. But I wanted to be there to make sure that things didn't go off the rails because, from my perspective, he wasn't really equipped to do like a political conversation with somebody like Nick Fuentes, who basically, you know, does this for a living. He's like very, very good at sneaking his agenda into the uh, mainstream conversation. So the idea that there was anything to be mad about with the Richard Spencer thing, it's kind of a, it's kind of a stretch. He didn't say anything racist on the podcast. He actually was kind of putting forth his whole repentance Story about how he regretted some of the more racist stuff that he did throughout his career, which I thought was uh, very interesting. And, you know, I think in large part, that podcast was really, really appreciated by the fans. But, you know, a few people on the hip-hop side try to really, like, misrepresent how that conversation went.
1: I think the issue with Spence was, I've watched a lot of documentaries, Frontline PBS documentaries about Spence, but I always felt like he's doing, it always it he never feels genuine. And I mm-hmm. think even when he's talking about his repentant, like re- repentant, it still feels fake, so I think that's always going to be at the core of anything he does.
0: I do think that to him, it's not so much that racism is wrong; it's that racism is politically not advantageous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's like you're just not gonna you're not gonna win elections by insulting different races and talking about race science and whatnot. It's just not really gonna get you, or if you even just want to be a prominent conservative commentator, yeah, probably not gonna happen. It's not gonna help. It's not. It's not a good look. Definitely. Mm-hmm.
1: Did, did your platform get influenced by other people like doing that? Like Patrick, by David, I feel is like somebody who's having people from different sides debate each. other.
0: Yeah, that that came from me doing like just spending a lot of time watching Destiny have conversations oh. with people that he was on the opposite side of the aisle from. And that made me feel like, well, fuck, why don't I do more shit like this? Like, you know, I want to have a conversation with Richard Spencer. So, But I also know that, like, me having the conversation one-on-one, I'm very, very much outmatched when it comes to politics or whatnot. So I thought, like, oh, if I get Destiny on it, what could be better than that? But then, obviously, people want to go with, well, he's not black. So he's not an appropriate uh, person to have this conversation on your platform or whatever, which, to me, I'm not really thinking about uh, race as much as, like, ideology like, you know, I feel like when it comes to representing liberalism and progressivism, that Destiny's probably sufficient to have those conversations. But he's not terribly invested in the struggle of black people in America. So you could, I, I don't think it's the worst argument ever. But, mm. yeah.
1: Yeah. I just got a couple of questions left. Um, do you think they regret it? The dudes are left? Yeah. Yes. Do you have? Because I feel like the town is small. So you might actually just know that they regret it.
0: Oh, I know things. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Some of these guys are leaky fucking faucets, and they'd be having conversations with people that get back to me very, very quickly. So I wouldn't really want to show my hand by uh, acknowledging some of the hard times that I know that certain people have been going through. But yeah, for sure, if there wasn't so much ego about it, and that's one thing I do kind of regret is I wish that maybe if I had just been pure, classy, grace-filled man throughout all of that shit, that it would have been easier for us to just kind of be like, oh, okay, boom, we can just do content together. That would have been kind of cool. But I mean, obviously, they started it by just pushing narratives and whatnot. But Would you say you're invested in their downfall? Uh. Only on a fan level, you know, only on like observing it. I'm not like invested in it in the sense of like making content about it. Obviously, mm-hmm. people text me about them and I, I'm willing to have conversations about it. But, but that's the weird thing is like this is the most I've opened up in a long time about it because the more I talk about them, the more energy, all their best content is about me. So as soon as I open my mouth about them, it just opens the floodgates for them to have shit to talk about. So I try to just stay mum on it because ultimately I feel like where we're going is a lot bigger than where we've been. I think why I ask about that is because like with
1: Joe, Rory and Maul, it it seems like Joe doesn't want to bring them up. But he may always want to bring them up because I feel that at, at his core. He feels as if they try to railroad his business. And I think Mm. that's something men with Eagles, which I think you and Joe have, I I think all men have. Like if somebody tried to come from my channel, which is not the same as your platforms, I would hate them to no avail. Like Mm. I would be like, I hate your guts. I would never let this go. So that's why I asked him. But I
0: don't, you know, I don't hate AD. Because I feel like AD got suckered into, like, basically believing a bunch of bullshit that was being pushed on him by various people. And I feel like he knows that now. So I can't say I hate AD. Okay. I think AD's a good guy. Who He looks like a good dude. He looks like a great guy. What, no. well, you think he's hot? Like he's <laughs> you just, you just like, a different type of punk. Just cast. like the look of him? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, he just looked like, he's a, tall. like he, he relates to the nerds, man. Everybody mm. relates to the nerds and, and does, like, video game streaming. I don't have any problems with Figmunity. They probably, like, who the hell is this guy <laughs> with, the, with the red beanie? <laughs> <And> so <laughs> Figmunity is all good. It's not like that. I just, I think these podcast breakups, how things end are fascinating. Oh yeah. And it's like, like I made this before we wrap up, I made this about like the Jay-Z and Dame Dash breakup, right? we still talking about it, but imagine they had done like thousands of hours of podcasts for us to look back at it. We would still, we'd talk about it more. There'd be channels about like mm. Danny from the Stop talking about Jay-Z. And- we
0: never even got to hear them have an argument. Yeah. The best thing that we got was Dame Dash talking shit about him and on so various excited. podcasts yeah. many, many years later. And you know, Jay-Z, he's lucky. He gets to move in such a way that he don't got to comment on shit. Well, I wanted to ask this. Why did Joe post the photo of you? And where did he get it? And what do you think he was trying to say? I thought that he was fat shaming you. I thought that I thought I was gonna walk in here and see a very obese man. They don't know that I walked right fucking past you in the lobby. Yeah. In my brain, Danny was gonna be a large fat man. Yeah, yeah. No, what it
1: was is we were on Twitter Spaces, right? And they were doing like I think Twitter. I'm in the Twitter Space world right now, but so basically. They were doing this like game where they were publishing pictures of people, but people who agreed. So it would be like men would publish their picture and the woman would rate it. So then Joe was like, "Why don't we rate Danny?" Because I was on stage. Joe loves being with me in the spaces. Like he's there all the time. Really? I mean, like it's, it's, it's interesting talking to Joe for long periods of time because like how do people do it? Like, mm. <laughs> it's, it's like the way he spins narratives. Um. So. There have been people who have known what I look like for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people on the Reddit, that loser subreddit that exists for the Joe Bunnan podcast. Don't follow that one. Go to the Joe Bunnan network Reddit. But um, they basically found out what I look like because my YouTube channel used to be my private channel, like mm. my channel, that, not private. And I used to have clips of me like when I was in college. Um, so I think they found that through that. And Joe gets that. Somebody from Reddit DMs them and he publishes my picture. Mm. Yeah. And that was from, like, 2009. I was, like, a baby-faced, Mighty Duck Goldberg-looking kid. <laughs>
0: One thing I don't understand is, like, how do you record a bunch of podcasts talking to these people every week and then go home and get on Twitter spaces for hours and hours and hours? This has just never really Explain. made sense to me. Sometimes mm-hmm. when it comes to doing the podcasts, I feel kind of drained from talking to so many people all the time. And I feel like, fuck, if I just— only had to do one podcast a week or two podcasts a week, I would have so much more energy reserves built up. But that's why I've never even been tempted to go on Clubhouse. And when I see them on the Twitter spaces, I'm like, so you're telling me you have a business where you all make money, including people who aren't on camera, you all are earning money from this, and then you go home, and in your spare time, you do the exact same thing into your phone for free. I don't get it. But that's just me. Well, he's always kind of been like that. He's always done clubhouses. He's done Reddit
1: talks. I don't know if you remember Reddit talks. They were like Reddit's clubhouse. Mm. He's been on them for hours. He's on discords. He's always, that's that's kind of why in some ways he's the podfather because he does that. Like Gideon, Wallow, other folks like Nori, I don't think they're doing that. And he's actively getting feedback from the fans. Mm. And I think while it is like, whoa, why are you doing this? You look crazy. It could also be a sign of how much of a genius he is for doing that.
0: I just I think of it, and I might be wrong because yeah. I realize that some people don't think of it like this. But I think of it like if I was a professional bodybuilder, you work out, yeah, but you don't like then go home and just work out a bunch more. Like like that bodybuilder works out like a couple hours a day, really intense, like maybe an hour a day, and then you go and you you nourish yourself, you take care of yourself, you eat good, you might do a little bit of cardio or whatever, but you, you spend the rest of the day taking care of yourself to prepare for your next workout. So that's how I think of it. It's like when I go home from this, I'm watching content. I'm trying to learn. I'm watching shit on Netflix. I'm mm-hmm. like doing whatever I feel is the most advantageous to me to be able to get back in the gym and do a great job. I don't feel like I'm getting better when I'm sitting there having a conversation with fans on an audio app. I actually don't even know what that would be like because I've never done it. It's hella toxic.
1: But um, I would say that in your bodybuilder Nanji, like the Pumping Iron documentary, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the greatest pump like dude, right? But in his spare time, he would bully Lou Ferrigno, right? Like, he would (laughs) just to make sure that he he knew, like, to bully other people. And I think for the crazy ones that really take it serious, they manifest in certain ways. And I think it manifests in different ways for you. I'm not as familiar with what you do in your spare time. Like, maybe you do something that looks weird to Joe and – this looks weird to you.
0: Well, I, I find also that when I'm living more of a normal life, like when I'm w- in Brooklyn, back in the day, I used to just... Williamsburg, shout out. Shout out Williamsburg. I used to just be riding my bike all the time, hanging out with people, infinite, talking all day about anything. All you do in New York, or the, my lifestyle that I was living, we're just riding around talking to each other all Lire. fucking day. You start talking to some random girl at the park. You're talking to some random dude who's selling candy, whatever. I mean, it's just On like... drugs. You just talk <laughs> all day. And like... I guess I have kind of, like, lost sight of having that much of a reserve of conversation. But, I don't know, I, I think that the, the way I'm thinking of it makes a little bit more sense to me. I like yeah. to be somewhat efficient with my words. Yeah, he spends, like, I, he's on there for, like, I would say, like, almost three hours a night sometimes. Jesus it's Christ. Like, crazy amounts. To me, that's almost like a sickness. that you, <laughs> you, you require so much feedback, and you're so in need of connection, and you're apparently not getting enough of it from your friends and your mm. your real romantic relationships that you, like, have to kind of constantly. Like, I don't know how much of attention you paid to Lush, but that was ultimately what kind of. Lush is, I like Lush. Caused a lot of our breakup at a certain point, lips. I feel yeah. like, is it was just like. He needed too much affirmation from the fans and from other people, and it led to him being a a leaky ship on Reddit and Discord and whatnot.
1: I've always wondered, like, how— It's it's tough with podcasting because you're, like, talking to people for hours and hours, and you're not really their friend, right? Like, I don't Mm. know if you feel like the people you do podcasts with are your friends. So— I'm just going back by what you hint. I think you may have hinted at like the the loneliness or something like that. Um, maybe that's a
0: way of having authentic conversations. but I'm not here to psychoanalyze. Um, yeah, no, but I, I feel like that is an underrepresented part of like the sacrifice of being a podcaster is that if I spend my day having eight hours worth of conversations with people that I don't really have a real relationship with, or that you know, I'm really just talking to them for content, you become very, very good at having these superficial relationships. Meanwhile, like you you just don't spend nearly as much time leaning into your real relationships. And it just kind of affects everybody a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I see people that I know who will go out to dinner with their friends when they're in town. And my brain never fucking works that way because Mm -hmm. I think let's do a podcast when you're in town. That's heartbreaking. It's fucked up, right? Yeah. But that, it, it ends up, kind of fucking with you like I just like I, I, I've i been friends with Vlad for all these years I never like been out to dinner with Vlad I yeah. probably should it's like good human shit to do but yeah. normally when we talk it's content
1: yeah I mean it, that's that's a tough place to be in but I kind of maybe see that happening to me where I think about something totally different because I have a YouTube channel now you mm-hmm. know? like I think about um, I gotta make a video about this something's happening um, you know and I, I see that happen. I can see why it happens. It's your job. It's your livelihood. And it's also a part of you forever.
0: Do you think Charlemagne has fallen off? <laughs> Boom! Obviously. Viral question.
1: Obviously. I think um, it might be an engineered fall-off, though. Like, sometimes you don't want to be the guy. This guy's behind the scenes. He's connected to Kevin Hart. It's like, um, if you ever come across a relationship with somebody that could take you to another level, not saying that you're doing this, but like, you might move differently. Mm-hmm. And Charlemagne has been to the top of the mountain. He's been kind of somebody that was so top of the mountain that Joe Budden had to acquiesce to him and kind of play the second in command at many times. Um, so he's falling off, but he's still the man. Like he's still he's not as entertaining though. And I think um that's one thing. Like I think sometimes I listen to him and he sounds like he I always call him like Shack on the Celtics sometimes, mm. where he was dominant at one point, but now he's not very much the Guy, I used to listen to and cut class for.
0: I was just watching a Trapler Ross video about the murder of a big jook who I gotta is, watch that. yeah, who is uh, Yogati's brother who was recently murdered in Memphis uh, after a funeral. And in the video, they're sort of breaking down how, like, look, young, uh, young Dolph and then black, uh, black youngster, and then Yogati they're all just like going on the breakfast club back to back to back, and like really like their beef and like that whole storyline was like playing out on the breakfast club when's the last time you felt like that? Now, granted a lot of this like street beef shit, there's obvious reasons that they don't want to touch it. And also you can kind of assume that the breakfast club didn't realize like how murderous that beef was slash was going to become, you know, and not to say that that's the only thing that would make their (laughs) channel have worth, but it does. Yeah. feel like they're not necessarily really at the cusp of, uh, the hip hop conversation, but then, you know, uh, what about the, um, fuck, what was I just about to say? Breakfast Club. Oh, Charlemagne signing talent. It doesn't feel like the uh, the Big Loon experiment went. Are you square. cool with Big Loon? I'm cool with him, okay. but it doesn't feel like, like I don't know, did Charlemagne like sign him to beef with academics? Well, I think Loon had a
1: pre-existing catalog that was very valuable to Charlemagne at the time. I also think Loon was somebody that he probably confided in. Uh, This is me being observed. I I am right about the catalog that Loon had. He interviewed Rory and Mo about the breakup. He interviewed the IM athlete guys about the breakup. So I think if you're someone who's maybe looking to hire somebody, if I come to you and say, hey, I interviewed Rory and Mo, I interviewed um, Brandon Marshall about the breakup, that might look valuable Mm. as to why – his network isn't succeeding. Maybe you don't have an eye for talent. Like, I think you have an incredible eye for talent. Um, Some of the people that you, I wouldn't say you made them into stars, but you put them in positions to become successful. Uh, Maybe Charlamagne don't got that. And he's not somebody who's of the podcasting industry, right? Mm. He's a radio guy who now is saying he likes podcasting, but he's he's not a podcaster to me. He's a radio host.
0: I mean, the thing with me is that no jumper is mine and it's all my money and every single thing that I pay for or do goes right back to me so I think about it a certain way so if I was paying AD or T-Rail or whoever x amount of dollars I was cognizant of that it's not like I'm just playing around with somebody else's money when you look at the Charlemagne thing I mean it's not like it's all his money right so like for him to sign big loon and give him a shot it's not like he's investing his own capital. It's like when you're working with somebody else's capital, you're a lot more willing to take a long yeah. shot, you know? And, like, maybe if you think that this person has a 5 or a 10% chance of blowing up, then when you're playing with somebody else's money, then that seems like a, a shot worth taking. I mean, uh, Big Loon, who, by the way, those are Menace Material guys, they call him fucking Big Sloth.
1: Yeah, yeah, those Oof. guys are. Shout out to AJ, J. Nobles, and Tone Guru.
0: They do anything. Brutal. Sloth. They don't pay fair, man. Dear God. I don't
1: want to be for them.
0: Uh, but when he first interviewed me, he was going off on academics the whole time. And this is before he signed to Charlemagne and before he did that Brilliant Idiots episode where he fully went in on academics. And, I mean, I kind of feel like that probably, like, cursed him a bit because I don't think you can just come in the game and just go for the top dog or one of the top dogs and expect for it to work out for you I don't think you could be a rapper and just you know come especially up off the of same. saying fuck uh, I don't know who, who should we go with Drake. F- fuck Drake fuck Kendrick <laughs> it's like hard to imagine <laughs> a successful rapper who comes out and their first act is saying this is why Drake's trash yeah it's not gonna work X. yeah
1: especially act because he's like he's kind of like the pioneer of all of this. So I couldn't imagine dissing him, but, um, Loon is, I think he's kind of like his, his niche is his niche. But when you try to put him on an elevated sphere, then it starts to look a little crazy. And, um, Charlemagne's moving shaky as far as the radio industry and the podcast industry. I don't think some of the hires have panned out. Uh, he's making a bet, but I don't think he has the eye for tan like you were Joe. Mm. Um, like the idea that, uh, Joe knew this whole time Ish would be a great podcaster, which I truly believe he's
0: really good at podcasting, even if he doesn't believe it. Um, I think if you go back in time, though, Charlamagne's had a lot of W's in terms of identifying talent. Mm. Whereas, though, right now, you might judge him a little differently, perhaps. Schultz. Schultz, tax. I the mean, tax was his? I, I think there's yeah, because he had him on the MTV show like a million fucking years ago. There's a bunch of people that Charlamagne has helped put on the game that I think that we're not likely to give him credit for because it was so long ago. But these in the marrow. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of like right now, because like the wild, wild west, if you were looking for talent in 2015, it was so much easier to like figure out people who were funny on Twitter or funny on YouTube or funny on Vine or whatever. And like try to turn them into podcasters, whereas now the vast majority of people who are going to take off as podcasters, we've already seen them be utilized, right? Yeah. I want to go back to what you just said about the iHeart, Black Effect thing.
1: How authentic of a network do you think that is? Because Joe seems to act like it's like not a real network that Charlemagne is running a shell company.
0: Who else is doing any kind of numbers on there? Nobody, right? That's <laughs> Nobody.
1: Like. And they and Joe's point is like, brilliant idiots is an on the black effect, right? So, right. like, what is going on? And like, it's not like Colin Cowherd, I think, runs the volume, which is through iHeart. And it's like, what is going on here? Is this just a? Because during after the civil unrest, right, a lot of companies were trying to mm. pivot towards. Paying lip service to some type of diversity initiatives. And there was people hinting that is that what the black effect has become? But
0: I don't know. Damn, don't you know. just said it's an affirmative action <laughs> network. I mean affirmative I action say. network is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to get canceled. But nah, I, I I think
1: what it is is that many people are doubting it. I don't know if it's an ad company. I don't know if they get the ads and they sign you because there's podcasters like a million what's that? The comedian podcast uh, that they're on, Wild Out. Oh, uh, the eighty five South 85 show. Eighty five South was on there. Earn Your Leisure was on there. Mm. And they're, they're like these pre existing IPs. They go there, so it's like, how does that work?
0: If like, don't you have to start an IP from the bottom up? If like you own something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I honestly have spent very little time looking at that. Looking at it, I do feel like the it's the same thing as like the complex thing or whatever. It's like if you. Think that you're going to create this great business by finding a bunch of podcasts or, or, or curating a bunch of podcasts, what are you bringing to the table? If you have an intense ad sales uh, division like Barstool, then for sure I could see it being valuable for you to sign with a network. But a lot of these things, I mean, like Dave Mays has been doing that breakbeat media and he signed uh, Don't Call Me White Girl, Mona, and he signed uh, fucking... Well, I guess he has Suge Knight, which is kind of weird because it's podcast. like done very, over the phone. Great, great podcast. But he he also signed uh, Funny Marco, who I believe uh, has dipped out, left him. He left him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's like, what are you bringing to the table? It's it's not exactly easy to find uh, sponsors that are dying to just put their logo all over random podcasts that haven't really like proven themselves yet. I don't know. It's like so many people seem optimistic about this as a business and. Having done it for a while, I guess I wouldn't say I'm as optimistic. For, for, for me, it's more like literally building a friend group, a core group of dudes who actually are podcasting together. That is valuable to me and to the audience is to actually see that cohesion. But the idea of me just like signing net, like podcasts that don't have any like overlap socially with the people who are already here, I think that's totally outlandish. Yeah, I mean
1: I think but that model is also
0: problematic as well Mm. the friendship
1: model because it doesn't seem sustainable for a long period of time So a lot of truth to that too. Yeah, like you guys will inevitably break up at some point Mm. And you got to be prepared for the breakup and that's why I like doing this by myself
0: and (laughs) Yeah, a lot of times I kind of zoom out and I'm like Me and Axe careers are not so different aside from the fact that he's really doubled down on himself Everything's about himself Very, very low overhead, does all this content by himself. Me, I've really invested in trying to build out this network of different hosts. And sometimes I think to myself, well, like, fuck, should I just be like a YouTube essayist? Should I get like a team going of uh, little writers helping me to like put together like, oh, let's talk about how this rapper fell off and let's talk about this. And like, you know, maybe maybe that would be. The smarter business move rather than me like really chasing after this idea of having all these co-hosts and stuff. But, you know, one thing to give more credit to my op, Joe Budden, he I think he said, like, y'all, y'all are competing with me when I just do this for fun. Okay, which we all do it for money as well. But I like thinking about it that way because realistically, I don't have to do this. I feel driven to do this. And as soon as I don't want to do this, I assume I'll be not doing it anymore. Yeah. You know?
1: So, yeah, I always kind of thought that like, you could do that Rogan thing where you just, maybe your challenges becomes you interviewing people.
0: Yeah. I mean, I could do that, but like episode 15,000 of, <laughs> but that. But that be. is kind of what I'm doing. But then we also have like the group. Yeah. But I'm saying everything like downside, like I don't want to talk about, I'm not. Yeah. That sounds crazy for me to suggest. I mean, uh, you know, I I listen to Sam Harris a lot. Mm. uh, And the other day he said that somebody recently turned him down to do a podcast. And that was the first time that had happened to him that someone turned him down to be Mm. on his podcast. Wow. And I was just like, wow, must be nice. (laughs) Because I've had conversations with Vlad where we would would say, you know, he'll send out 100 DMs on Instagram and get like a handful of people that are down to do it. Yeah. And we consider that a pretty decent rate. You Mm -hmm. know, if you can get a four or five percent success rate, it's like if you talk to 100 girls and you fuck five of them, we're in business. Yeah. You're killing it. I feel like doing the same thing you did to me during this interview. Uh, Will Andrew Schultz leave Charlemagne? I mean, (laughs) how well does The Brilliant Idiots do? That's that's really well. That's a podcast that if I had more time, I would definitely listen to it more. I do listen to it from time to time, but I think it does well for it being a second option for both men. Yeah, and I think it's smart for Andrew to keep one foot hip-hop adjacent, you know? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yeah, it's got to be a little bit of a weird decision given that flagrant is fucking gigantic at this point.
1: Yeah, Andrew Schultz is kind of like, it's tough now to even delineate who was more impactful to his career. Schultz or, I mean,
0: Charlemagne or Rogan. Like, it's like, Mm. he's becoming... I think Rogan for sure, right? Remember that clip of Charlemagne saying that... I'll do a video about that. That the Breakfast Club is just as big as uh, Joe Rogan? Very delusional. Oh. That really made me feel like, damn, bro, you live in a bubble. <laughs> yeah. You live in a bubble that is really shielding you from what's going on <laughs> in the world out here.
1: Yeah, it would be like, I'm trying to think of a basketball player saying he's better than LeBron. like Or like he's more impactful, but that's sports. But yeah, that was insane. And I think Schultz broke Charlemagne's heart. And it was interesting to see. Schultz have to apologize and be like, "You mean so much to me,
0: Charlemagne," Mm -hmm. and that's how like crazy it got. But we haven't seen what Joe Rogan's YouTube numbers look like in a few years. But I feel like he interviews like random dudes who are like not the biggest deal in the world, and the full interview would get like many millions (laughs) of views. You know, he's (laughs) interviewing like Tony Hawk or something. Did he do Tony Hawk? Fuck, did he do Tony Hawk? I don't remember. But I think I think I remember like. Just noticing that at one point, I'm like, oh, he interviewed Tony Hawk and it's been out for 24 hours and it has 2.5 million views. And there's nobody hip hop wise that could touch that at all.
1: It's insane. Like, he can interview a janitor that works at a museum and he'll probably get like tons of views. Like, he's just um, the way he does things. And I think his YouTube exit. Created so many people because the algorithm was like yo, we got to
0: create and I think Schultz maybe mm. May have filled the void. I don't think it. of Joe Rogan as somebody who's thinking about the competition between podcasts I think yeah. that he's like just so successful Descending. that he doesn't have to think about that at all But you definitely probably are right that that opened up a big big space Backing. for more on on YouTube Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I was like, do you have any questions for me man? I, you know, I got <sighs> I don't know What's next? for danny from the stop like where, where could you see yourself taking this will you ever start a podcast people are going to be commenting saying adam you should hire danny after this too why would you say that i don't know they, just, they say that about anybody that i have a good conversation
1: with <laughs> oh well it's a good conversation the thing is um like i was watching mr beast on flagrant right and he was like he was trying to do the interview he was being cool But like halfway through it, he's like, so this is what you guys do, right? You do this long form stuff, right? And it was like, he was like going in his head and he noticed that this is crazy to sit down for two hours. What about my retention? What about the retention of the people watching? Mm. And I feel like a podcast, man, there's just so many people doing such long content. And I like being like, like small bites of Mm. content. I like taking what you guys do and maybe someday being a podcaster myself, but I want to tell stories about y'all breaking up. I want to do a podcast (laughs) about, uh, maybe I'll do a podcast about no jumper breaking up one day and be like, the fall. Mm. What led these two men in different directions? AD and Ad like that type of stuff. I want to do a narrative
0: podcast. Because, yeah, exactly, narrative podcast. Because if you look at political or if you look at, you know, a little bit more lofty uh, genres of podcasts, quite often their narrative, they put, you know, dozens or, or, you know, hundreds of hours into a single episode in some cases now granted those are being like kind of held afloat by these big corporate sponsors and entities that own them and shit like yeah. that but I mean I do feel like there's probably a big future in that for hip-hop but actually I guess it's played out through like the hip-hop essayists, the YouTube essayist exactly. right
1: exactly yeah like um, I think my channel could kind of do that for like somebody who wants to know about the Joe Budden Breaker with and Ma. But yeah, I, I don't know. There's just there's a great story to tell about all of you guys. Like I said, the there's one of the influences on my channel was um, Jim Miller. I don't know if you know Jim Miller, mm. but he writes about bit. SNL, right? Like okay. he writes about the dynamic at SNL. He writes about the dynamic on HBO, and that's what I think um, I can be for hip hop. Mm. Right? I can write the dynamic between people, and if I become a personality and people like me, then that's money in the bank. But um. Yeah. Do you yes. want to know one of my worst
0: Joe Biden experiences that I don't think I've ever talked about on camera? Obviously, I do. Okay. I'm going to make a note of this. When I got married in Italy, cost many, many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars for this wedding, right? But we decided, fuck it, we've been together seven years at that point. We're going to do it. We're going to do this crazy-ass wedding, invite her family, my family, bunch of friends, whatever. We go out there and... We spent a significant amount of time creating a playlist for the DJ to play. Mm. Mapping out a lot of our favorite songs throughout the years, songs that meant something to us, etc. And then when it finally comes time for the DJ to start playing music, he just starts playing a bunch of random shit. And some of it was like American pop music that I wasn't even familiar with. Some of it was like, you know, like oldies or Motown or whatever, but it would be like, you're playing this Marvin Gaye song. Like there's fucking, like we had three Marvin Gaye songs on the fucking playlist (laughs) and they were all bangers and you're playing this weird ass. You know, it was like just very upsetting. And um, apparently the list just like didn't even exist by this point. Or I don't know if like we just didn't even care enough at that point. We were a little drunk to like actually stand up to the DJ and like tell him like play these songs. Like, I mean, I don't even know if he would have had Wi-Fi to fucking download it, whatever, who knows. But either way, at a certain moment, and keep in mind, this is like, Three months, two months after the no jumper breakup in which Mm. I also had this, you know, little verbal war with Joe Budden and I'm at my wedding and they play pump it up.
1: They always pump it up as
0: big. big. Yeah, but when you're in Italy, <laughs> you don't hear You kind of think maybe pump it why up didn't make the, its way out here.
1: Why don't you IG live and then do the uh, the Drake like, there you go, Joey. <laughs> like, that would have been funny.
0: I don't know. I I, but Joey. <laughs> my mind wasn't there. I've also been banned on Instagram Live for like many years. Oh, that's but heartbreaking. That, that would have been pretty fucking funny. Yeah, Drake did bust that move. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's how you, that's how Drake, uh, he's
1: like the kryptonite to <laughs> Joe. You think Drake will ever get the Joe Budden appearance? Hell no, Drake Drake got got all the. I don't I don't know if to include you. I don't know if you vibe for, but he got all the the podcasters on the string posting mm. pictures of Drake. Like yo, we gonna get a Drake. He's not an interview. He's not gonna sit down with y'all. I think I have a better chance of getting a Drake interview. The way the way why would he need to sit down? And the re, the reason I say I have a better job is because I don't think nobody has any real tangible shot.
0: I think if he had a podcast that he really fucked with, he would do it. He would definitely probably still want to control the edit. I could see him doing it, but I don't know. I don't think he fucks with ACK like that. I don't think he fucks with me like that, even though me and ACK both talk to him, but I don't think he fucks with us like that. I don't (laughs) think he fucks with Joe like that. Definitely doesn't fuck with Charlemagne like that. Maybe somebody like Gillian Wallow or even like, you know, Drake would do some fly shit, like do something with Cam and Mace, you know? Possibly. Because they're not like a threat. In, a, in the same way. They're not in sports. the rat race. They're kind of doing their own niche. But also, it's kind of like, you know, he can't go do the fucking Club Shay Shay thing because it already is like... Cat Williams just solidified that shit. And like, yeah, yeah. a lot of celebrities You'll have been be lining up to do it to. after, but I feel like Drake would want to be the one doing the Cat Williams-style appearance on a certain podcast. So I, I, I bet he's... If I'm him... I've got that in my mind that I'm going to pick a certain podcast. He he did tell me he was going to do No Jumper at one point. I when think was it this? was 2017, Instagram that, DM. Damn, he was mad popping. I thought I thought going to be like
1: 20, 2008, he told me. <laughs> you want to know the thing,
0: though? What? I think uh, the only reason he was asking me that was because he was picking out every single person that was close to X and getting in between and fucking with because his beef with X was real. Remember he went to fucking Miami and shot the God's Plan video and gave out money to everybody. like, just a coincidence, I'm in your city, and I'm doing like all this stuff to make myself look like a great person. He does the song with Trippy Red at that time when mm. X and Trippy were super close. He gets in touch with me, follows me, tells me that he wants to do No Jumper. I mean, granted, maybe he you was... Were a, you were a pawn in this war? Maybe he I mean, was thinking yeah. about doing yeah. No Jumper at that point, yeah. but I think that the primary reasoning might have been that he wanted to sort of get in there and be cool. That's a unique way of beefing, though. You only do nice stuff. You don't do anything negative. You only just fuck with—you do nice things. You give out money in his city, and then you become friends with all his friends so that they cause potential turmoil. We never even got to that point. Me and X never had a conversation about it, I don't think, but— Drake is a scary dude. Like, as far as, like, just the
1: things he can do, like— yeah sleep with your like mom or something like he could like, he could do all types of things to you like the way he gets busy with the beef is like so unique to him mm. and so different than like his predecessors that I don't think people can really even hang with him and I know now it sounds like I'm trying to praise Drake but I, I think I love his music but um, the way he plays like is, is really unique
0: to him you and, should go to Ice's neighborhood and hand out turkeys <laughs> Make a whole vlog. You'd be so (laughs) triggered and you can't really talk shit about it because it's like you're doing something good that that he probably, I don't know. I don't want to take that away from him if he's ever given out turkeys. Because Ice, it it, it was interesting. It got to
1: the point where I felt bad about what I was saying about Ice because he was so visibly triggered and it's kind of interesting. I don't know if that ever happened to you where you talk about somebody and you see the effect and then you start to think like maybe I should like chill.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I'll learn. Yeah, I've been there. But you know, if if you believe it, you believe it. End of yeah. the day. Yeah. yeah, Danny, thank you so much for yeah, your man. time. Everybody, go subscribe to his channel if you want to keep up to date on what's going on with all the yeah. pods the out stop. there. Simple. The stop. You can just type the stop. Maybe Danny. the stop space Danny, and you'll you'll yeah.
1: find it. Yeah. Whether the stop TV Instagram the stop TV, that's what you'll find. I don't like to promote too much, but
0: right. Yeah. But I mean, you get the podcast commentary channels that you deserve. So I say <laughs> let's support more of the stops and less of certain other entities that might not. About? all right, cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, y'all, peace. Appreciate you, man. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, Instagram, et cetera. Like, comment, and subscribe. NoJumper.com if you want to support. And we will be putting... Joe Bonin's first album up here <gasps> with the whoops, the Plug Talk AVN Award, the, the Durkios, the Crip Mac 40, the Len of the Plug Fleshlight, and the Gay Crips Orange Sunglasses. Oh. Let's go.